from the high desert and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening and or good morning wherever you may be across this great land of ours. From the Tahitian and Hawaiian Islands in the west, nestled in the warm trade winds of the Pacific, eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, with their own soft winds, south into South America, north all the way to the pole, and worldwide on the Internet. And by the way, hello to my friends down at the Antarctic, at McMurdo. This is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell, and it's great to be here tonight. We are going to talk tonight about one of my favorite topics in the world, maybe my favorite, actually, time travel. In the first hour, I'm going to talk to time travelers, you, those of you out there who claim to be time travelers. Now, in the second hour, we're going to have a, actually a very serious guest on time travel, David Anderson, Dr. Uh, David Anderson, Ph.D., is a former United States Air Force officer, flight test engineer, and scientist who developed a passion for space-time study while conducting research at the prestigious Air Force Flight Test Center. Now, listen to this. For the last 20 years, he has been formulating and developing his breakthrough concepts in space-time physics and the study of time. His work led to the development of what uh, today is called the time-warped field theory. His research holds the first promise for the development and application of practical time control technology. In 1995, Dr. Anderson founded the Time Travel Research Center, today the world's most advanced research laboratory dedicated exclusively to the study and development of time control technology and its application. His company also sponsors an organization called the Time Travel Research Association, which networks time travel inf information and interests from more than 80 countries around the world. Now, as you know, uh, many of our nation's top theoretical physicists uh, insist that with a proper amount of energy, time travel is definitely going to be possible. Therefore, if time travel is going to be possible, if that is a an accurate scenario, then one might reasonably ask, well, then where are the time travelers? They ought to be here, right? They ought to be here. And I suspect they are here. Now, I'm not saying that when I begin picking up lines here in a few minutes, requesting to talk to any of you who claim to be time travelers, I'm not saying that these people are real, and I'm not saying they're not. That's for you to judge. All I'm saying is that it is reasonable to assume that if time travel will eventually be a reality, then there should be time travelers here now. There really should. So that's what lies ahead. Let's see what's in the news. Ilian's father in the morning will come to the U.S., and we'll hope to take his son away. And you know what? I have no comments on this whole thing. It's going to be big in the news and probably tr a real trouble for Miami. 
I hope they are braced for it, and I'm sure they are. Otherwise, I see nothing in the news that even uh, merits particular comment from me. A partial birth, uh, uh, partial birth abortion ban news. Let's see, GOP courting Hispanics with a new ad. Huh. Jewish settlers occupy Hilltop, West Bank. Microsoft going through its agony. Biotech food safety urged. North Carolina school and same-sex class, really. Guess they thought that wasn't for 8th graders. So they're going to let them get back together again with the girls. Because there was this big thing going around saying that uh, American education discriminated against girls in a, you know, in the classroom. That the teachers somehow regarded them as less important than the guys. So that's basically what the news is, not much. But time travel, that's different. Now, I do have to tell you what I do have. I have an awful lot of environmental news that's scary as hell. A global warming sea change, you know about that, the sea change temperature. A gigantic hole opening up in the ozone layer over the Arctic, which scientists believe will severely damage the natural shield protecting the northern hemisphere. That Guess what? That's us from cancer-causing sunlight. So down in Australia, you know, the, the children are required to wear headgear to school, and soon that may be the reality here, too. In Cairo, French archaeologists have discovered the remains of a 4,000-year-old Queen's Pyramid south of Cairo, complete with texts of special prayers previously found only with kings. And here's an article on church urged to recognize reality of hell. It's a really interesting article, too. But this hour, what I want to do is talk to people, you out there, who claim to be travelers in time. Believe me, it's interesting. Strange, but interesting. So if you're a, a time traveler, call me. That's all we're going to take calls from this hour. People who claim to have arrived here, be here now, through time, through whatever method. <laughs> Coming right up. All right, we are accepting calls this hour from time travelers only. If you have traveled in time, or you are presently a traveler to this time, then we want to hear from you. Uh, otherwise, the phone lines are closed, but for that group, they are certainly open. Uh, with that in mind, uh, top of the morning to you on the wild card line. You are on the air. Hello. Yes. Hello. Yes. Hello. Yes, 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 yes. We're here. Uh, yes, my name is Robert, and uh, I am not quite a time traveler. I'm from a little bit different dimension than yours. Uh, well, that's... In, okay, in, okay. I, listen, I think that may be virtually the same thing. You claim to be from another dimension. Uh, yes, Senator. I I'm not a senator. Oh, oh, okay. I'm I just sorry. a little uh -huh. slip there. You haven't, you haven't okay. testified in front of a group lately, have you? No, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, uh, I don't actually... know. There's no other way somebody would say yes, Senator. Uh, well, actually, the uh, one of the, the my original dimension I'm from. You are a senator of Arizona. Well, I'll be damned. So... Of, of Arizona? 
Yes, uh, basically... Senator happened... Art Bell. Arizona uh, Senator Art Bell. Boy, that has a ring to it. Yes, it, uh, yes, it does. <laughs> Definitely does. Uh, basically, what happened in my dimension, uh, the South won the Civil War. The, South, the South won the Civil War? Yes, at the uh, first battle of Bull Run, basically, that's where the Civil War ended. And I am from, in an awful dimension, the Confederate <laughs> States of America. Wow! Now... Were they, did they, if the South won the Civil War, they, all states would be Confederate, wouldn't they? Well, no. Actually, the original Mason-Dixon line holds. There is the United States of America, which runs... At the Pennsylvania-Maryland border, roughly? Uh, which is, well, that's where it is Pennsylvania-Maryland border and also up into Canada. Uh, oh, the into Confederate Canada? States, really? Yes. Uh, shortly after that, basically, Lincoln resigned. I uh, was um, loved watching... Your Civil War, a couple of years ago, you had the PBS special, and it was a big hit in our dimension because it was something that, you know, it didn't, we never thought that had been possible. But, uh, so it, yes. so that special appeared in your dimension as well? Well, it didn't appear in my dimension. We just basically brought it back. We've been able to. What, what about history between uh, the ending of the Civil War, which you say was different, and now? Yeah. It, it must be indeed in your dimension entirely different it's entirely different basically what happened is is the united states went ahead and invaded canada the confederate states of america have basically went all the way to your panama which is basically mexico all the way to central america are just confederate states to us they're just another flag on our stars and bars so really in that dimension we physically possess part how much of canada it's all of Canada. All, all right. I've really wanted Canada for a long time, and and well, so and so. Art, if you ever come over, uh, if, if I ever meet you, I'll have to take you uh, to where I live. And can you do? The, is that possible? Yes, that is possible. Uh, basically, what about the, what about this terrible conundrum of not being able to meet yourself? Though, I mean, what if I came with you and met Senator Bell? Wouldn't I possibly blink out? No. No, you're just a different person from him. You're there's you're not uh, sort of difficult to explain. I don't know. I'm, my job basically is pretty much to go out. I'm retired. Um, my I, job I, I, I can hear the southern accent in you, no question yes. about it. Yes, but uh, no, my, I'm basically retired. Uh, my job was to go out to different dimensions and sort of scout them out and see. You sound uh, basically how they different. You sound a little a little young to be retired. Uh, I've of course, who am I to talk? I've had I've had uh, rejuvenation. So rejuvenation. Uh, yes. Another advantage in in by the way, how should we consider this dimension? As how, is there a way to phrase where you say you are from? Is it a fourth dimension, uh, a fifth dimension? Uh, basically, we've explored right now about 50 different offshoots of the planet Earth. Holy smokes. You mean different dimensional different, renderings different of, what of Earth? Uh, basically, from our dimension, how time is split differently. There's a lot of big, of course, there's a couple of splits uh, where the United States lost the Cold War. We, of course, there's... There's several where we uh, lost the Civil War. Uh, there's one where 
basically uh, Nazi Germany won. Nazi Germany won? World War II. World War II. Boy, what a hellish place that must be. Yes, it is. It's it's extremely bad. We don't. We basically, well, I've talked to some of the people. They popped in and they saw swastikas in Richmond and they left. Didn't want to. That's about Holy all we know. Holy um, Now, our theoretical physicists are presently in this dimension beginning to realize there are other dimensions. Um, some of our best are saying that. But they're speculating 10, some more, and you're saying as many as 50. Uh, 50 that we've explored. There are a lot more. We, and we didn't find, basically, we found uh, part of this technology in Europa, which is uh, has an intelligent race. I don't know if it has it here. We haven't really got to the point where we could explore. We're very curious about Europa in this dimension, thinking it might have some form of life, but probably fairly primitive. Well, this is, I, I don't know quite how to explain it. This dimension, this dimension's probably, it's fairly dangerous to go to. The one we're in, uh, you're talking about yes. the one? Yes, the, the one that we're in currently, Senator, yes. <laughs> Stop with the Senator stuff already. Okay. All right. I'm not a senator in this dimension. Okay. And I don't much have respect for a lot of them either. Okay. Well, then I apologize. So, in fact, it worries me to even think that I might be one in another. Okay. But Arizona would be a good state. I was. It's, it's a very nice state. Uh, anyway, this is a no kidding on this dangerous dimension stuff. I mean, I'm reading. You know, I'm reading this environmental news. And the ozone layer is getting gigantic to the point where they say it's going to be affecting us up north here the way Australia is affected, uh, the ocean is warming, the storms are getting worse, uh, things are going to hell in a handbasket, really. Well, we're, we're concerned about that, and we're also concerned about, uh, I guess, how conspiratorial the, the United States government is. Oh, we are so conspiratorial. It is, Even it is my true. listeners, uh, believe me, my listeners are so conspiratorial. Yes. I, I, I am. I am too. I am too. Now that I think about it. But uh, what? Why are you here? Uh, basically, like I said, I'm here to uh, basically to scout out different areas to determine whether or not to actually present ourselves to governments. Uh, that's one of the things I do. Do you think that's it's, a good idea, or do you think no. that's a danger? No, not such a good uh, idea. It's a, it's a very dangerous idea. Here we've uh, to. Basically, say that I'm from the Confederate States of America. Mm -hmm. That's going to get you in trouble all, right away. It's going to get me in trouble. We did settle the slavery issue when Robert E. Lee was president. So you're saying then that the Confederate States did not maintain slavery? Uh, no, perhaps it, it a longer period of time, but not. It uh, it basically uh, it went away. He had uh, what was called a Lafouche plan, which uh, slaves were able to buy their freedom, and they had a choice of going back to uh, Liberia are staying here. And if they stayed here, they had to hmm. basically move out of the state that they were originally enslaved in. And uh, at that time, we were basically, uh, we were annexing Mexico, and there was a lot of land down there. So, boy, in your dimension, we have, a, we have a lot more land. I mean, we, we swallowed Canada in one quick bite, and then a lot of Mexico as well, huh? Well, the Confederate States took Mexico. Uh, we we took Mexico and then uh, what what you call the United States took Canada. Yes, sir. So you you all were rebels with a real cause. Uh, yes, we were. Uh, I guess now. Bunch of land, you bunch of land grabbers is what you are. Well, we're. that was 
That but, was quite a while ago. So. I know. That's what they say here, too. So um, what is the future for this dimension? Is it a rosy one or I don't know. I'm kind of a poopy one? I guess the thing that we're most surprised about, uh, since we went to a lot of dimensions with this level of technology, is the lack of space travel that uh, that you have done. I'm, I've I've seen other, I guess uh, I've seen other areas with the same tech level or the the same technology that you have, and they have already put they already have a a colony on the moon. They've already landed people at Mars. They're towing asteroids. In Listen order to here, I, I, I'm pressed by the clock. I've got to take a break. Do you want, do you okay. want to hold on? You're really an interesting person. Uh, yes, I can hold on for just a little bit longer. Just a little longer? Uh, probably maybe ten more minutes. I really don't. Uh, it's conspiracy, uh, conspiratorial. <laughs> I really don't like this. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Give me ten minutes. I'll be happy okay. with that. All right. Stand by. In this dimension. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. Don't touch that dial. of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. The wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. And to call Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell from the Kingdom of Nine. You know, at the top of the hour, we have a Ph.D. type professor coming on to talk about time travel, real time travel. It's such a romantic notion for me. How about you? Can you imagine another time? Maybe another dimension, another world, another way things worked out in time. Re really, really interesting stuff. Anyway, we're going to get back to our dimensional traveler in a moment. All right, I am only accepting calls from time or dimensional travelers, and I'm not sure there is a really big difference. And by the way, thank you for waiting, caller. Is there a big di I mean, isn't dimensional travel a, tra a type of time travel? Uh, not really. as far as our scientists can tell, no, not really. What happens is, I guess there are time is same. Uh, when I go back to my dimension, it's it's the same time as it is here. Ah, so, so time time is linear in each yes. different dimension. Yes, as far as we know. Uh, I guess one thing. So that, that means Art Bell, the talk show host, and Art Bell, the senator, do they live to be different ages? 
Uh, yes. Yes, they can. I mean, I've, I know of you, at least in one other dimension, where uh, you uh, host, a, you're not going to believe this, you host a talk show on the moon. You uh, are basically broadcast <laughs> from the moon. From the moon. Uh, from the moon. Uh, I can, you know, I would entertain uh, that option if it were given to me. Uh, listen, there's somebody who would like to ask you a quick question. Um, on my international line, uh, where are you calling from? Hi, my name is Larry. I'm calling from Sudbury, Ontario, 300 Sudbury. miles north of Toronto. Um, actually, territory that isn't even actually Canada. That's right. To my well, present. There is uh, there is an Ontario, which is just another flag in the United States. <laughs> All right, uh, call it's Robert, is it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I have a question. Sure. What are the cars like there? Are there Chevys, Fords? Do they drive differently? Same kind of transmissions. Some of the uh, names of the cars. Really good questions. Yeah. Uh, basically, we have uh, we have what's called in uh, in Atlanta, which is our equivalent of Detroit, is uh, what's called Trafalgar uh, Ironworks, and they have uh, a variety of different uh, of different models and makes. So, in other words, that is your Detroit. Yeah, Atlanta is basically our Detroit. Uh, basically, I guess what would be called uh, a lot of. Uh, I'm going to be polite here. I guess a lot of. Y'all prefer to call Negroes blacks, right? I want to make sure that I don't offend anybody. But blacks, blacks in this, into, in this time, in this uh, yes dimension, would be proper. Okay, okay. would be blacks. Okay, yes. uh, blacks moved up into I guess the Iowa area, and there's a town, very large town there, called New Jerusalem, which is the New Jerusalem in Iowa, the United States. Now he asked about cars. Can you describe any automobiles? Uh, pretty much they would be the same. Ours mostly run on electric. We don't have Figures. a lot of diesel. Figures. Uh, we in the South prefer a big muscle car. How can you have a muscle electric car? Well, I guess you could if you had enough electricity. Do you have gasoline at all? Yeah. Do you? What? Hello? We, we lost him. We lost him. He's uh -oh. gone. He's gone. We lost him. He's out of he, gas. he said, "Well, he said <laughs> out of gas." <laughs> he <laughs> said, "Well, he said he only had ten minutes, and I guess that's, his, that's true. His ten minutes are up." But I love questions like that, Art. Well, I um, so Detroit is virtually in Atlanta, huh? Yeah, interesting. I, w I also wanted to ask him about trains and aircraft. How would you guys feel being consolidated as as U.S. never having been? Well, if it was the natural evolution of history, I mean, it would be fine. You know what I mean? As long as you don't force the issue. I mean, if, it, if that's the way it had happened, well, that's the way it had happened. That's right. We're, we're, at the same time, Canada and the United States are both very different. So you wouldn't have that medical very system? very much the same. You wouldn't have that medical system up there? You wouldn't have... But, but you would have... <laughs> well, that, that medical system is on the shaky legs right now. There's yeah, a lot I've, of controversy. I've, actually, I've heard that, yeah. yeah. All right, well, listen, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, you take care. Uh, caller from Canada. Well, in this dimension... Uh, first time caller line, you are on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. Art, how are you? I'm quite well. How about yourself? Well, I'm doing quite well, thank you. Listen, it's been a long time. I've been listening to you for years. For years now, huh? Yeah, yes, I have. Are you a time traveler? Well, yes. Something happened to me because of your show. What? Well, first of all, it goes back to 1995. Uh, I'm located up here uh, on the Russian River in Santa Rosa on KSRO uh, country, and we were flooded. Our house was, like, uh, basically cut in half. I was forced then to work uh, uh, many days in a row. I'm a truck driver. I've, I've listened to you for years over yeah. the night, like 
like you have mentioned. Yes, yes, the time travel part. Well, the time travel part goes like this. I was working so many days that I caught one of your shows, and I listened to, to, uh, to uh, Malachi Martin. Yes. And uh, he told me and or uh, to the most of your audience, you know, how to pray, how to accept acceptance. And something happened, man. What? I'm tired. I've gone like, you know, I'm running illegal. I'm going like 23, 24 days in a row. I hear a lot of truckers do that. Yeah, 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 yeah but, you know. And so you had an epiphany on the road somewhere. No, no man. No? Something happened. And, and suddenly I got touched. I felt like I got hit by like a little golden wand or whatever that, that, that hit me on the top of my head. You right sure that you just like didn't bang your head on as you were getting out of the truck or something? No, no, I made, I made sure that that's not what happened. If anything, it woke me up <clears throat> to a lot more than what I, I knew in the past, and I started to see into the future. Hmm. And what I started to see into the future was this. I, I didn't see so much of the doom and gloom. What I started to see was, was the things that, that the natural changes. We're going through a tremendous rate of change right now, and it includes all of us. But, but most importantly, what I saw in, in a flash, in, in an instance, I is what? What I saw, what I saw was a, a better place to be. In other how, words, how far ahead is that? Because right now the signs, I mean, the canaries are dropping like flies here. Yeah, I realize the canaries are dropping like flies. I realize that we've got global warming and there's yeah. chunks of ice, like you know, melting and breaking. Right. Off. So, so, so then, when does it get better? The better part is around the corner, and I would say maybe in 10 years. Uh, what, what, I just, what I saw was something that flashed upon me. So you didn't me. actually, then, you, you didn't really travel in time. You, you, saw, you saw ahead in time is what you did. Well, I'm not exactly sure how you would say that. I mean, all I know is that something touched me. Were you actually, okay, let's put it this way. Were you actually, seemingly, actually there? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear that... Uh, no, well, no, hold on a second. I know what you're going to say, Art. I know what, what you're going to say. Hold what? on, man. Uh, no, I mean, this is, what, this is something that, that happened in an instant. Well, what about... I, I, no, I understand that. I, but, but look, there would be critics who would say, you said you were driving illegal, you were doing a million hours, you shouldn't have done it, you had a brain spasm. No, it wasn't a brain spasm. No, uh, it A trucker's a... brain spasm. Well... How do you know? Because that would be the criticism, I mean, especially with what you said. Well, I'll tell you exactly how I know. First of all, uh, it was a warm feeling, and it was a feeling of acceptance, and it kind of glowed the whole cab of inside my truck after so many years of not really a believing, no. so to speak, being a hard, kind of tough guy, and all of a sudden realizing and seeing something that was so cool. I said, you know what, there is something else out there, and it's powerful, and you know what, I got a, a, an immediate calm about me, and for a moment, in a blink of an eye, in a blink of your eye, what I saw what was the state of the future. And, and what, this I rosy, what you saw was a rosy future. All right, I've got it, so uh, trucking into the future, I guess we'll call that, I don't know, a trucker. I can't rule out the possibility that he whacked his head as he got out of the truck, or that uh, his cab warmed up when he sort of fell off the cliff mentally 
after driving for so many hours. You've got to allow that at least as a possibility. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Yeah, hi, Art. Hello. I've been doing some uh, dimensional traveling. Yourself, uh, huh? Yeah. So, again, well, okay, then let me ask you like I did the first caller, yeah. who apparently uh, had a prepaid phone card that ran out. Yes, sir. Is, is, it, is time linear in every dimension, as yes. he suggested? Yes. It is. And from what, what is the dimension like that you are from? It's very similar. And that's one, that's one problem that they had there was when I was sent. They gave me this special card. That I was supposed to when I come back. You were I sent. Huh? You were sent. Yeah. That when I was supposed to come back, I was supposed to check it to make sure I was in the right dimension. Yes. And it didn't match. Oh, brother. So, in other words, you're saying you were tossed here by mistake. Well, we found out that there are so many multiple dimensions that it's almost impossible to get back to your own. You can get back to a similar one. But... The getting back to precisely where you were is almost not possible, so it's like you're stuck here then. Very difficult. Well, if this one is kind of like the one you came from, or with very few, what are the differences? Can you describe any differences? Uh, Do they have dogs there? Yeah. Yeah. Houses? Yeah. Detroit? Cars? Right. The, the main Ozone depletion, the... ocean warming, all the problems we've got? Basically, yes. Yeah. Any difference at all? Well, there'd be differences like, okay, like that one guy, you know, you'd, you'd be like the senator or, you know, different senators, different congressmen at different times, you know, little things. But basically, even even if we lost, lost the First World War, in some dimensions, it'd end up almost the same. There's different points of history that just absolutely have to happen. Well, what about Canada and Mexico? And, the, you know, I take it. There is a Canada, there is a Mexico. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, there was one that I went to where um, Martin Luther King didn't exist. Malcolm oh. X didn't These would be radical. Very, very, different, very different then. Right. So the civil rights movement didn't happen. Didn't happen? Didn't happen. Then what would the state of blacks be in your dimension versus this one? Well, in that one, they were still segregated out, you know, whites-only areas in malls, you know. Um, well, that you know. stinks. So you're in a, really, um, you should count your lucky stars that you're in a better place. Right. Huh. Yeah, it, 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 that, that dimension was bad. Are you bummed out that you're stuck here? No. No, 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 no. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's okay. Do you frequently tell people what you're telling me now? Nope. And it, no? No. Nope. That's probably a good idea. Right. They wouldn't, so a lot of them wouldn't take it real well. Not really. Well, listen, I certainly appreciate your calling me. Oh, okay. And uh, you have a good night, sir. West of the Rockies, uh, wait a minute here. Let me do this again. Oh, boy. West of the Rockies, are you there? I'm here. Good, good, good. You're on the air. Yes. Uh, this is Bob in California. Hello, Bob. Um, I met myself when I was eight years old. I met myself. Now, you see, I've heard you can't do that, but you're saying you can. I met myself from the future. It was really, really weird. When I was eight years old in grammar school, I'd, uh, be, I'd like, play alone uh, during the uh, uh, recess period. Right. Like, behind a tree with my little army men and my cars. Oh, yes, I played with army men. <laughs> and uh, this guy shows up, and he's, like, dressed all in white. 
uh, it was almost like a uniform, and he had gray hair, almost white. Yes. And uh, I kind of recognized him at the after the conversation, and uh, it, and I I think it was me, <laughs> but he asked me a lot of questions. Yeah, he, he knew everything. Oh, that's really intriguing. So in other words, your older self from the future or a future came and met you. Right. How did you recognize yourself? How did you know it was you? Good question. I, I think I recognized my teeth because I've got these very distinct bicuspid teeth that stick out, and uh, I never had orthodontics. And I guess I, I, I had my permanent teeth by that uh, age. A sort, a sort of a Bugs Bunnyism. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. But, but, but very identifiable. Yeah, it's like a fingerprint. And uh, I recognized my teeth. And later, I also recognized the mole that I Other than your toothiness, how did you look? I mean, <laughs> were, you fairly, were you aging um, reasonably? Well, at eight years old, you're not all that discriminating, uh, uh, you, know, uh, that, uh, you know, critiquing an adult. But uh, uh, I, I, I was clean. I had great white clothing, and uh, I had gray or white hair. And I, I just asked myself a lot of questions uh, about my brother and my parents and, uh, and things like that. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's, it's kind of like I went back in time to psychoanalyze myself. Uh, now you're confusing me. Well, see, it's like sometime in the future when I'm 60 or 70 years old, I, I somehow... Obviously, you will go back, right? I, I, yeah, I get access to a time machine or some kind of astral projection or something. And, and I, you, I, whatever it is, you will go back and meet yourself at six years of age or whatever. Well, I think it was closer to eight or nine. Eight, eight or nine, yeah. whatever. And, um, uh, uh, yeah, I've got it. I wow. wish I could tell you some information. I wish I had given me a few hints of, like... Like uh, things that happen in the future that I could tell your audience. But, but most of the questions that you had, I mean, obviously, I understand, they'd be personal. Yeah, I think I, I just went back there to kind of get a glimpse at myself when I was a child. Um, which end of it do you really remember, or do you remember both ends? Do you remember... No, I, I only remember what occurred, you know, when I was eight. You know, I, I, I'm just 36 right now. Right. So I guess sometime in the future when I have white hair, I, I've got a little bit of gray already. Huh. I've got this mole that showed up under my eye that the, the, this guy had. Same mole, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, at eight I didn't have it, but I, I've got it about five years ago. And well, it, we're getting there. I mean, this is nearly enough to convict you if it was a crime. <laughs> a mole and a toothiness and other general characteristics that you could see where you must have been really weird. Well, I, I, it didn't really dawn on me until this mole sort of started growing on, uh, on my cheek, and then uh, I, I sort of thought back to that memory, and, and as my face kind of grew, you know, think of yourself when you were eight. If you were to meet yourself today, would you recognize yourself? Um, what an interesting question. Um, I was an annoying little SOB. I'd, I'd probably recognize myself. <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess, but I'm not. Now that I think about it, I'm not really sure. So, but but you obviously did, and uh, what a weird thing it must have been. I thought I just should share it uh, with you, and maybe you can. And, ask and how weird it must be to think that you are going to do it. I mean, this is something that lies in your fairly immediate future. No, no, no. I I have white hair in the and the person I met. So I I think it's probably thirty years. Yeah, uh, well, thirty years, but there's thirty years are cosmically is a you know. Yeah. It's a blink in time. There's nothing. 
It's nothing. All right. Well, listen, thank you very, very much for calling. Okay. I've got a scoot. We are going to talk about time tonight, as we already have been, but now with an expert. I'm Art Bell, and from the high desert, this is Coast to Coast AM. Her hair is hollow gold, her lips sweet surprise. Her hands are never cold, she's got better days aside. She'll turn the music on you, you won't have to think twice. She's pure as New York snow. She got Betty Davis Isn't that a romantic notion, a secret place in time? Want to take a ride? Call Art Bell from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at area code 775-727-1222. Or call the Wild Card Line at 775-727-1295. To talk with Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. During the first hour, we spoke with travelers in time, actually in dimensions. This hour, we're going to talk seriously about time travel. Actually, we were last hour, too. Or maybe not. You decide. But coming up shortly is David Anderson who is a former United States Air Force officer, flight test engineer, and scientist. He developed a passion for space-time study while conducting research at the prestigious Air Force Flight Test Center. For the last 20 years, two decades, he's been formulating and developing his breakthrough concepts in space-time physics and the study of time. His work led to the promise for the development of the application of practical time control technology. Oh, doesn't that sound interesting. In 1995, Dr. Anderson founded the Time Travel Research Center. Today, the most advanced research laboratory dedicated exclusively to the study and development of time control technology and its application. His uh, company also sponsors an organization entitled the Time Travel Research Association, which networks time travel information interests from more than 80 countries all around the world. That's who's directly ahead, Dr. Anderson. All right, here comes Dr. David Anderson. Doctor, welcome to the program. Thank you, Art. Where are you, roughly? Uh, we're located on Long Island, New York. Long Island, New York? That is correct, yeah. Way back there. All right. Um, doctor, I, I must tell you, time travel um, is probably the most interesting 
romantic notion and pursuit that I have. Uh, all my life I have contemplated its possibility, and so we're going to have a lot in common, I feel. How did you get? How did you, uh, pray tell, with all your, uh, uh, with all your formal education, get involved in something so on the edge? Well, it's uh, it's amazing. I think to you and us today, it's on the edge. But I think within the next uh, five to ten to fifteen years, we're going to see a lot of common applications of time control theory and technology in our daily lives. Uh, where I initially began, though, was I always, when I was young, I always had an interest in mathematics and physics. And as you mentioned earlier, I did spend about five years doing research and development at the flight test center, uh, the Air Force Flight Test Center in the Mojave Desert. There I got involved in space-time research. And uh, I think the enlightening day for me was uh, we were trying to solve a, um, a problem with some of our satellite systems. We had an unexplained variance in our satellite positions where they were drifting so much every year. And I was assigned to the project. We solved the problem. And about two years later, after solving the problem, I went back and I looked at the numbers, and what fell out of that was a lot of new models with regards to space-time and its ties to magnetism and energy. Oh, whoa, okay, slow down. Um, so you had an anomaly in um, one satellite or a constellation of satellites? Uh, no, it was uh, basically a number of different space-based satellite systems. Uh, they were drifting. Um, each year, you know, we, we predicted and we had many models available to us where we thought the satellites would be. Should be. Could be, yes. Based on um, all kinds of factors, uh, gravity, uh, the orbit, um, a million different factors, I suppose, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. But what was the... the the confusing issue to everybody was the satellites were not where they were predicted to be. And it turned out, that the, the bottom line was that it was due to the results of what's called frame dragging, a prediction that comes out of Einstein's general theory of relativity. Frame dragging? Yes. What is that? Well, frame, frame dragging is a phenomenon predicted by general relativity that talks about how a spinning mass, like the Earth or the Moon, actually will drag space and time around it slightly to a very small degree. Ah. Uh, ha uh -huh. Um, I understand exactly what you're saying. Uh, the rotation itself is actually causing um, time and, and space itself to be slightly perturbed. Is that that is correct? That's a good. That's a good explanation. Yes. Wow. Uh, the implications of that, then. Well, I think the implications that came out of that art were, was that it wasn't so much that we solved the problem, what we realized, we came up with a new mathematical model that not only corrected the satellite predictions and where they should be, but it also illustrated to us some new relationships that existed between uh, space and time and energy and electromagnetic fields, uh, I guess a coupling of those different technologies that weren't apparent before. And from that coupling, uh, that's when my passion, I think, it was always a passion, but like you, uh, I think from that point, uh, it really became an obsession. Okay, you, but you did all this for, as you point out, the very prestigious Air Force uh, Flight Test Center. When you explained to the powers that be what you had discovered, how did they handle that? Because you were really, you were telling them something entirely new in science, uh, and I wouldn't think they'd take that real well. Well, you're absolutely right. Sometimes uh, uh, different establishments that were in place are, are a little slow to, to, to hear new ideas, but it really wasn't the case there. 
uh, initially, as I mentioned, uh, the problem was solved with uh, a mathematical model. And at the time when we solved the problem, we were very pleased, we were very happy. We had a new reliable system to predict you know, where our satellites would be. And ultimately, I suppose that's all the bottom line cared about. They wanted a predictable model. That's correct. And, and I didn't even, honestly, I did not even recognize what I was holding in my hand until two years later. And at that point, I was just on my way to leave the Air Force, and I decided that I would pursue that research on my own after the fact. And and, and so where did you, uh, you're back in private life, uh, where did you take that research from that point? Or how did you proceed from that point? Well, I, we probably spent, I spent probably a good part of, um, I would say, eight to ten years uh, doing nothing but trying to refine that mathematical model, um, uh, doing a lot of different research, a lot of different development. And I think the biggest milestone for me was I finally reached a point, I think in the early 1990s, where I realized that uh, some types of time control technology were achievable today. And at that point, I began to uh, fund and launch the Time Travel Research Center in 1995. Okay. You're, you keep saying time control technology. <laughs> define, yeah. define for me what you mean by that. Uh, t time control is interesting because anytime you tell somebody um, you're working in space-time physics, the, the first thing they always uh, joke about is, so your mission is to build a time machine. And I won't deny that that's a, a key focus and a passion for all of us here. Uh -huh. uh, but the initial application of our technology will be not for sending somebody through space and time. It will be more for um, applications in everyday life, um, one of our key focus areas in medical applications. Or as they said in a, in a recent great movie, baby steps. They are exactly, exactly. So, every what application of control of time can you imagine early on? Oh, early on, I, I think two of our two of our most high interest areas right now, where we receive most of our funding and most of our focus, is in two areas. The first is the medical industry, and the oh, second okay. is an industrial process application. And the medical industry is actually, um, our, our short-term focus is the development of, of uh, app the development of the capability to use this technology for organ preservation, uh, to help store and preserve organs while they're awaiting transplant. Now, the medical industry and the communities that we're working with right now, they see, really see that as a stepping stone. What they really want to see our time warp field technology used for is for uh, eventually medical stasis fields uh, that will help slow or stop the progression of disease and eventually... Okay, okay. Wait, wait, you're already ahead of me. Back, let's back up to organs oh, for sure. a second. Just a second. If you apply time control technology to the preservation of organs, does that mean, for example, that somebody who um, has a head trauma and dies, uh, whose organs are going to be used for transplantation... Uh, in some manner or another, you would apply time technology to keep the organs fresh. Yes. That, that may, maybe the best thing to do, Art, would just be explain a little bit about what our time warp field technology is. Uh, okay, in a way we can digest, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, essentially, um, our, our time warp field technology um, allows us to create uh, today what we call a small self-contained time warp field. The field size that we work with, it's about a 30 to 40 centimeter diameter field. Uh, so it's a, it's a spherical field. Uh, within that field, 
we are able to adjust to a small degree the time, the rate at which time passes relative to the time rate outside of the field. Wow. So an object inside of that field will experience a slightly accelerated or slightly retarded time rate relative to anything outside. So by placing an organ uh, that's awaiting transplant inside of that field, we can actually slow down the rate at which time passes for that organ, making it preserve, preserving it much longer. Absolutely fresh organs. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so, but you're really, people need to know you're deadly serious about this. You, you say you can create a 30 to 40 centimeter. How big is that? Uh, that would be roughly about uh, 10 to 12 inches today. 10 to 12 inch area where time is either going faster or slowing down. Is it a cumulative process, Doctor? In other words, the longer something remains within this field, uh, the longer the progression or regression in time? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Once we, uh, typically what we do is once we establish the field and we place an object uh, or test instrumentation inside of the field um, and we adjust the time rate, that time rate, they say it's, say it's 50% of the rate at which time passes outside of the field. Holy smokes. Really? That is correct, yes. You're telling me you've really done this? Absolutely. Um, I'm not saying that we're not without problems, but we, we have made some, uh, great, uh, made some great steps and achievements, especially last year. Last year was a very successful year for us early on. Good Lord, Doctor. Do you realize what you're telling everybody here tonight? I realize what we're telling everybody. Um, I, I will tell everybody, though, also that as much as we've seen some great success, there are also many challenges that we face as well. Um, uh, so I think in many times, as much as we've had success, there are probably more questions now than we have answers for. Um, let me begin, and I guess there will be some proprietary information you can't give me, but how would such a field be created? Can you give me any broad outline? Well, there is, there is some proprietary information I, I cannot provide, but uh, to, to give you a rough outline, uh, Creating the field, I'd say, would pretty much happen in a, um, I guess, a three-step, a three-step process. Uh, first, we use an antenna configuration that introduces a high-speed rotational and magnetic field in the core area of the field. Bingo. Okay. I had a feeling it was going to be that. Well, actually, believe it or not, that's probably not the most important element. It's actually, it's important. We found out from a stability standpoint, it's important. But then we use an ejector system that establishes what I'll just say is a necessary core environment, and that's the, the, the key element there is the injection of a gas, a gas reagent. Uh, the third step is that we use a high-energy laser array to introduce and then to induce and then modulate the field. And this is, I guess I'll say for some of the scientists out there, this is similar, uh, not identical, but similar to what's done in high-energy plasma physics. Well, let me tell you what's blowing me away about this, all right? Certainly. I don't know whether you are familiar with the story of the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, of course I am, absolutely. I share all the same right. passion with you. Okay. Well, I've interviewed a number of people who claim involvement in that. And the technical description that they gave, doctor, of the equipment that was used in that experiment, which really was a radar evasion experiment more than it was time travel or in invisibility or anything like that. But they used um, rotating um, fields, magnetic fields, and RF um, as well, rotating RF fields. I, I'm trying to remember the exact configuration and power amounts. But, but are you familiar with the story vaguely? 
Yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I know what they did is they, that they were trying to degauss de the ship so it couldn't be detected by mines, so they were using uh, magnetic coils around the ship uh, right. with, with high-energy magnetic fields. What I would say, there's a, there is a, a big difference between what we're doing in there. The magnetic... But also, as I heard you describe what created the field, the alarm bells were going off saying, ding, 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 uh, that sounds somewhat similar. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, sometimes I wish I didn't have to say those uh, those four words, but it is an important part. What we found out was when we induce a field, the most important part is establishing the right core environment, uh, getting the gas gas reagent distributed properly, and then firing uh, our laser ray into the field. And like I said, it's very, very similar to high-energy plasma experimentation. We found out, though, that the rotational magnetic field Helped us solve some stability problems. It's 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 a key component, but it's not uh, a driving element. Holy smokes! Um, well, excuse me, but this is going to be breaking news for a lot of people, Doctor. I mean, that we can even do this. Uh, it's certainly news for me, and I didn't expect you to tell me this tonight. I thought you would be a theoretical research group only, not actually involved in the hardware and so what you're saying tonight is a total blow away for a lot of people you understand well, you know, that again I, I i understand that um and i guess i would i would let people know as well as much as we have seen progress like i said we have many many challenges uh, uh we see the benefit to the medical community uh the, the organ preservation experimentation that we're doing right now that's a stepping stone like I said, the medical community has their eye on the possibility of eventually stasis field and disease regression. Sure. Uh, the other area are where uh, a lot of people are expressing interest in even funding our research to a certain degree is for industrial process acceleration. And when I say that is, hmm. there are many, uh, there are many um, scientific and industrial processes uh, that take a tremendous amount of time, time. to complete. Right. And the ability to accelerate certain test processes or industrial process or chemical reactions would have obvious, uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous economic value. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. For us, Always. for us, it's kind of interesting. Our, 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 our biggest, from our heart, our biggest area is to see the application of this in the medical um, applications because we see it offering a tremendous, not only a brand new field of technology, but a, a tremendous benefit for people around the world. Well, of course, it would be. Um, it would be, you know, Mr. Anderson's uh, 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 one step for mankind. Neil Armstrong's one step, uh, you're Anderson, for mankind. A giant leap for mankind is what it would be to be able to preserve organs with actual time. Uh, time travel might not be the right phrase for it, huh? That's why I carefully use the word time control technology. Um, like I said, we all here have a have a passion that someday we might be able to uh, 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 build that, uh, uh, that, that great machine of fiction. But uh, for now, we see the short-term applications being uh, uh, very, very different. If you look 50 years, 100 years ahead, if you project uh, your research out 100 years, would there be, could there be a time machine? I think I, I think the answer I think the answer to that is yes, or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Well, I have a lot. But, of... You know, Art. The one thing I would say is one thing we have not done. Um, we did uh, early last year. 
we had we had demonstrated our, our time rate acceleration retardation using mechanical and electrical clocks. Yes. But we were always hesitant to use it on a living organism. All right. Uh, what we did last year. It, early, hold, uh, hold that. Hold that. It's a great place to uh, hang everybody up, including me. I want to hear this. Stay right where you are. Oh my. You keep saying you got something for me. Something you call love, but confess. You've been a messin' where you shouldn't have been a messin'. And now someone else is getting all your best. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. With a tear in every room, all I want to love you promise beneath the halo But you think I should be happy with your money and your name And hide myself in sorrow while you play your cheating game Silver threads and golden needles cannot bend this heart of mine And I dare not drown my sorrow in the warm water In the Kingdom of Nye, from west of the Rockies, dial 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. Or use the wildcard line at 1-775-727-1295. To reach Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the Premier Radio Network. And we are talking about the control of time and eventually time travel with Dr. David Anderson. And, oh man, he's already done it. In a way, a time warp field 30 to 40 centimeters, which will either accelerate or decelerate time right now. More in a moment. All right, back now to Dr. Anderson, Dr. David Anderson. And I, I must tell you that obviously many of you are going to want to read more. On my website right now is a link to Dr. David Anderson's website, which is www.time-travel.com. So if you'll go to my website and just click on that link, you can do a lot more reading about what you're hearing about right now. Would that be accurate, Doctor? That would be very accurate. Good. All right, um, you would now... Obviously, you experimented first in this field you created with inanimate uh, objects of some sort. Yet that is correct. Our, our test instrumentation we use, we use mechanical, both mechanical and electronic clocks and other types of test instrumentation. Clocks. And up until earlier last year, we really avoided doing any testing on living organisms, at least so early, early on. Up until year. last year. That is correct. Um, if, you, if you took... A normal clock, a wound clock that was um, 
accurate and you put it in the field, what what could you prove or what could you... What, what you would have would be a, would a perfect demonstration, which we've done over and over again, of showing how the time rate acceleration happens. We place one clock within the field as and then one clock outside of the field is a reference clock, and then sure. it can show the divergence as the t- field is adjusted. And how much divergence have you demonstrated? Oh, actually, it's uh, very specific. Uh, we've been able, again, we use the term reference time rate. That's the time rate, at t- the rate at which time passes outside of the field. Right. Within the field, we've been able to go up to 300%, uh, an acceleration factor of three over the reference time rate. And inside the field, we've been able to stably go down to about 13.2% of the time rate, actually slowing the rate at which time passes. Holy smokes. And we've even gone below that, but when we go below that, uh, we do run into some, uh, uh, I guess I'll say, not stability problems, maybe an easy way to put it. Stability problems. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why we really haven't tested how would a, How would a stability problem manifest? Well, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of a real succinct way to put this. We have, when we create a field, uh, there's obviously a time rate outside of the field and a time rate inside of the field, and there's a variance. And inside what we call the boundary layer, which you can picture as like the uh, a thin shell, like an eggshell right. around that spherical field, right. uh, that, that shell area, the boundary layer, is where the time rate actually um, actually changes. And it has a peculiar effect um, of Dopplering frequencies and energy. Uh, so what happens is, is that if we have uh, certain types of energy inside or outside of the field, um, heat can be Dopplered up to light. Uh, light can be Dopplered up to other things. Uh, higher temperatures could be, and light could be Dopplered up to gamma radiation. And what happens is, when I said the stability problem, yeah. our, our shell boundary layer is a very thin shell. The word shell is very applicable all the way from 300% down to about 13.2%. What happens as we try to get closer and closer to the zero time rate and when we pass through it, that shell actually expands. It becomes thicker. And that Dopplering effect carries all the way through almost to the center of the core. And when we did our first test last year on plant seedlings, our first test on living organisms, we actually ended up cooking about 80% of the plant seedlings that were inside the field. Did you say cooking them? Yeah, literally. Um. With regard to inanimate objects, um, just let, backing up for a second, sure. um, if you are, are you able to actually observe the object within the field? Uh, yes, we are. Actually, uh, we um, a question we get asked a lot. Um, our our first ex- projects, uh, we call it Project Dark Star. That's the study of our time warp field technology. And, and yes, we can see objects in the field uh, as we accelerate the time rate. Um, it actually, frequencies get Doppler down moving from inside the field to outside, so you actually see a darkening uh, and a more of a, an, op- uh, an opaqueness to the, to the object as we accelerate it. As we reduce it, you see the reverse. But, yes, we can observe. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, that's amazing. That's like magic. Uh, to, I mean, to a lot of us who had no idea such a thing was going on, it's like magic. So the inanimate object begins to darken down. Yeah, and it's not the object itself. It's really just the Doppling effect, again, that we see within the boundary layer of the field. In other words, optically, how it's peering to us because of what it's being subjected to? 
yeah, basically, the, you know, every color has a frequency, and as, as that the, the light or that color moves outward through the field uh, when we're accelerating time, um, that frequency is actually dropped or down, so colors will actually shift in shades when we're accelerating slowly, and it gets more dramatic as we increase the, uh, uh, the time rate divergence. Oh. Now, you mentioned seeds, um, and I can understand that as a very early biological experiment. But what, what about, what in that field or the creation of the field would be cooking the seeds? Well, again, what happens is uh, to, early on, well, to maintain the field, as I mentioned, there were three steps in implementing a field. The third one was um, inducing uh, the field with the reagent with a high-energy laser array. We have lasers in that after, the, after a field is induced, the lasers still fire at a certain pattern. Um, when they do, they're inducing energy into the boundary layer of the field. That energy, again, if we're retarding time, is doppered up, which takes it up to, you know, depending on the degree which we're trying to retard time, it will actually doppler that up to more harmful radiation. So when I say cook, I'm not necessarily saying heat. Yeah, no, I understand. Uh, is, is, the, is the laser the modulating agent? The laser is used. We need, we need a certain amount of energy in the field to maintain it, and that's what the lasers are used to do. Our first, um, our first model, um, our first, uh, actually our, our, our first model of, of our time warp field generator was included three lasers and one, uh, we call it an injector sensor array. Our, our current model we're using right now has 12 lasers and uh, six injector uh, sensor arrays on it. So we actually have 12 lasers that are used to maintain and modulate the field. Um, to create such a field, Doctor, um, are there, do you have any concerns about safety? Uh, has, that, has that occurred to you as you've been moving through this obvious, this incredible experimentation that I think nobody knew about until now? Well, the, the answer is yes. You mentioned early on baby steps, and, and that's something that's actually very important to us. Uh, a lot of people ask us, why haven't we tested this on animals or people yet? And there's two reasons. The first one is the field size is too small. But more importantly, this Dopplering effect or this boundary layer problem where it Dopplers energies and frequencies literally can have very damaging effects on living tissue. And we know... So you might end up cooking a mouse, for example. <laughs> Exactly, uh, or radiating the mouse is, is maybe a better way to put it. Um, but we know we can solve this problem. And our, when we solve this problem, uh, the impact this technology could have on research, you know, finding cures for diseases like heart disease, cancers, diabetes, and AIDS is, uh, is absolutely profound. And eventually when we can use this on a living person, uh, the science fiction days of station, stasis fields or disease regression fields um, uh, might not be science fiction anymore. What do you believe stands between you and the ability to subject uh, biological um, entities to this? In other words, what in in the manner that you now create the field, there's going to have to be a whole new manner of the creation of that field to avoid the effect on biological organisms, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, that, that's correct. The, the first issue is is understanding the boundary layer better, and and I got to tell you, we, we've had great successes in the last two years, um, and we're making some great results, but when it comes to the boundary layer and understanding it, which is very important to us, we must understand it better, we have more questions than we have answers. Sure. But, but to give you an example, when we had our uh, three-laser system, uh, 
um, compared to today, we were had to inject about, uh, I think it was close to, um, I can't remember exactly now, it was about 20 to 25 times more power to induce and maintain the field. As we've learned more about the boundary layer, we've now cut that back by a factor of 20 to 25. So as we bring that energy down, um, and that's actually the biggest achievement here, is to be able to create a time warp field with a lower amount of energy. Uh, as we bring that energy down, it's going to help solve the problem. And kind kind of like cold fusion trying to get to room temperature. Uh, yeah, you know, I guess I never looked at it quite that way, but uh, I guess you could say that, certainly. <laughs> some analogy there. Whew, this is so much to digest. When I, when I asked about safety, when you create um, a time warp field, is there any any danger? It's kind of like when they they drop the atomic bomb. They first um, uh, many credentialed scientists thought it might ignite the entire atmosphere, and there might be a chain reaction. Our atmosphere would burn up. They didn't know when they pushed the button. They really didn't know. So when you create a field like that, was there any concern as you approached throwing that first switch that? something totally unexpected might occur that could be dangerous. I think that feeling, I think that feeling grows every day. Um, not that we've had any, any major problems. We have a lot of respect for what we do, um, uh, you know, respect for the technology and the risk. I mean, we run this like a, a full-blown flight test almost. I mean, our, our pre-test, our pre I'll give you an example. Our typical live experiments run maybe about two to three hours. Um, the pre-planning and the effort uh, and the pre the pre experiment um, preparation runs about two to three days, and the post experiment analysis cycle and, and the modification for the next test plan can run a week or two. So to give you an idea, that gives you a little bit of proportion. We have a lot of respect for it. Without getting specific, doctor, um, because you may not want to, I don't know. Um, what you mentioned funding? Uh, obviously, the kind of work you're doing requires a lot of money. Where does the money come from? What kind of sources? Well, early early on, I had to fund uh, a lot a lot of my own research. Um, uh, now, um, the funding, and I, I think it's no secret, um, uh, we get funding from both private investors as well as some agencies in the government have interests in, in what we're doing. Uh. But but to be honest with you, the largest part of our funding and interest it comes from really two areas. If I had to give you the top two, one it would be from the medical community. Uh, because they see the long-term possibility, and they also have a lot of money to invest every year. Um, the second area um, um, outside of that, um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think it's almost a toss-up, but we do have some interest from the government. Um, but but I'd, I'd say, number one, it really is the medical community. And then there's some people with regards to industrial process and research or scientific test acceleration. With regard to any funding that might be coming from the government, an obvious question. Um, what uh, application do they appear to be interested in? Um, well, I really can't talk a lot about specifics. <laughs> yeah, okay, on that particular I'll, I'll read right between that line, no problem, because no, I, I think I know the answer to it. What I can say is that uh, that's what a lot – actually, believe it or not, the one thing I can say is that a lot of people hear the name Project Dark Star, which is the name we gave our, our, our uh, initial project to explore time warp field technology, and uh, a lot of people think that it sounds very sinister, like a military weapons program. Actually, it was only because of the Doppler effect in the boundary layer and what we saw visually. Um, in other words, uh, you didn't really name this project Project Dark Star until you made the observation 
of the field change. That is correct. And, and I tell you, to sit here and observe this thing, it's absolutely amazing. You said it before, um, is that when you see something like this work, um, we all know that um, uh, that um, gravity and time can warp space and time, that time is not an absolute. This is all science fact. It's not science fiction. But to see it actually in action um, at this scale is absolutely fascinating. Mind-boggling, actually. It is, and, and I think what's interesting is I think we don't even get after after the amount of time I've spent on this. I never get I never get lose my fascination and wonder when I see us open up a field and start uh, adjusting time rates. But the people the people who see this field in operation art, the most interesting thing is they always call me back in a month, three to four weeks, and they say I can't look at the world the same way. I said they knew in their back of the mind that time and space uh, uh, were not an absolute and that time is mutable and um, uh, but when you walk down the street anymore, you know, you don't... Uh... I understand that. How could you look at the world, everything, in the same way at all, ever again, once you had observed that? Well, you know, it's amazing. Sometimes you have to ask the opposite question, um, and I'd say to your listeners, how can you not look at it? We know, I mean, the fact that, that, that time is mutable and can be dilated and that uh, we live in a, you know, a universe that's made up of a, di- a dynamic web of energy, this is... This is the fabric of the universe and the world we live in, uh, but sometimes we tend to shrink the size of uh, the magic and all the wonder in the world to the size of our daily routine and material possessions. You know, we, we, sure. we have a cultural and biological evolution that we've been through that lets us look at time in one specific way. Let me rip you back to the reality or the myth of the Philadelphia experiment. Do you think, Doctor, that there really was such an experiment, um, the... Um, the reports of its effects may have been overblown, or maybe they were right because they talked about some pretty horrible injuries that occurred. Is that possible in your way of thinking? Oh, wow. Um, that's such a hard question because um, uh, there's so much information on the subject out there. Uh, it's hard to know what was, what, what was real, what wasn't, and unfortunately I wasn't there, Art. I wish I could I hear you, hey, but, 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 I'm, but I'm saying based on what you know now about what you have done, if they had been doing what was described at that time, is it possible they would have done great biologic injury to, you know, to the, the, the volunteers? I think, um, uh, again, the technology that we're using is, is drastically different. Uh, but the, I think the answer to that is yes. I think uh, I, I think uh, you're pretty familiar with the dangers of uh, electromagnetic radiation. Was this due yeah. to a yeah. rip or tear in time, or was it due to the radiation effect? Uh, um, or I, a little of both. A little of both. I mean, you'd, sure, you'd be cooking people with immense amounts of RF, rotating RF fields, uh, as was described in that experiment. And so it could have been a little bit of both. You know, you know what's interesting, Art, is that... Uh, um, uh, is that, you know, obviously my background includes, um, it's probably 20 years of math and science. And what's interesting is I just started opening up my mind about a year ago and uh, doing more work studying the uh, uh, the nature of time and philosophy. But we also run, um, and I'm not trying to plug here, but I think it would be helpful for your listeners, we have an organization called the Time Travel Research Association. That's dedicated to studying the topics of time travel on ed- any subject, from the Philadelphia experiment to the Montauk project to philosophy to art. Uh, to religion and all the ramifications. And I think when you ask me the question, do I believe, I'll just tell you I'm not going to say I don't believe because as I've studied more and more outside of the, you know, the rigid walls of math and physics that I've grown up, grown up in and lived all my life in, I realize that there's much to be learned there. 
Is it just coincidence, Doctor, that you're on Long Island? Uh, I, I, I can anticipate where you're going with regards to the story of uh, the Philadelphia experiment and the Phoenix Montauk, Project being moved yeah. to Montauk. Yeah, that's right. Um, is it a coincidence? Um, consciously, it is a total coincidence. Who knows subconsciously? Maybe there's a master plan or a path for me somewhere in the universe that led me to uh, Long Island near Montauk. But uh, uh, <laughs> consciously, actually, I mean, that must that must have entered your mind. Uh, you know what? And yes, people ask me the question all the time. Actually. The Time Travel Research Center, when it was founded, was founded in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and we still run one small, um, one small office there. Maybe, maybe so, but you're in Long Island. And now we're in Long Island. Yes, our, our, our base of operations <laughs> is out here. Yeah. Oh my goodness, what the future might hold for you, huh? Absolutely. You must spend a lot of time thinking about that. I certainly would. God, that's incredible. Uh, listen, Doctor, hold on. We're at the uh, top of the hour, so you've got a good break here. Oh my. Did any of you have any idea that this was going on? That you can actually move forward, accelerate time, manipulate time in a forward direction, or to some degree in reverse as well, and it's being done now? <laughs> we'll be right back. and then to burst up through tarmac to the sun again or to fly to the sun without burning a wing to lie in a meadow and hear the grass sing to have all these things in our memories hold and they use them to come Take a ride? Well, call Art Bell from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. The wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. And to reach Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the Premier Radio Network. Incredible stuff. Dr. David Anderson on Long Island is my guest, and he's telling us he has achieved time control. Has achieved time control. And I'll tell you again, uh, because it's such a fantastic claim, more about Dr. Anderson in a moment. What a night. All right, some absolutely fantastic claims being made, and so once again, I think this is important. David Anderson, the man you're listening to right now, is a former U.S. Air Force officer, flight test engineer, and scientist. 
He developed a passion for uh, space-time study while conducting research at the prestigious Air Force Flight Test Center, where he found and uh, actually cured an anomaly in satellites being not where they ought to be, and that led to all the time study. For the last 20 years since, he's been formulating and developing his breakthrough concepts in space-time physics and the study of time. His work led to the development of what is today called time-warped field theory. His research holds the first promise for the development and application of practical time control technology. In 1995, Dr. Anderson founded the Time Travel Research Center, today the world's most advanced research lab dedicated exclusively to the study and development of time control technology and its application in Long Island. His company also sponsors an organization called the Time Travel Research Association, that networks, uh, which rather networks time travel information and interests from more than 80 countries around the world. Here he is again. Uh, doctor, welcome back. Thank you. Um, all right. I think it's worth a minute to take some time to, to um, ask you about the nature of time or what you believe with your research you understand, if anything at all, about the nature of time itself. Oh, Art, I, I love this question. Um, Good. Well, you know, I, I think I think the best way to start with that question is to say that uh, probably for about 2,000 years people have been asking it and uh, have offered many answers, and I don't think I can improve on that. But uh, I think one of the most important things that I always point out is that uh, time is, to many of us, a very strange and curious thing. And one of the tests I'd encourage your listeners to do if they haven't done it already walk up to a friend or a family member or a stranger on the street and ask them, do you know what time is? And they'll all nod their head like, absolutely, yes, they do. Mm -hmm. And they're almost sure to answer yes. But when they do and you ask them to explain it, they'll never have an answer for you. They cannot find the words to explain what time is. And what's interesting is, even as far back as the 4th century, uh, St. Augustine even said it differently. He said, what then is time? If no one asks me, I know. If I wish to explain it to one that asketh, I know not. And it tells you it's, it's a very deep insight into what the psychology of time really is. Um, I think also uh, sometimes I think maybe uh, after 2,000 years we don't seem to have a good definition for time. No. Uh, maybe perhaps we don't want to understand it. Uh, a lot of times people talk about time with a negative connotation because maybe it's linked to our own mortality. Sure, it's our enemy ultimately, right? Absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, my favorite quote that captures that whole meeting is... Uh, uh, from Star Trek Generations, uh, time is the fire in which we burn. And uh, huh. the other one is time is a great teacher, but unfortunately it kills all its pupils. <laughs> I feel that way sometimes. Uh, but it may not necessarily always be so. I think that is correct. I think that is correct, or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I, I think, um, you know, this is actually an interesting area for me, and I'll talk about it too much, Art, so you have to reel me in. But, no, no, go. Um, you know, a lot of times we feel that time exists independent of us. But honestly, perhaps this belief is really just an illusion, and time is really something that is measured and perhaps created in our mind and our body's perceptions. Maybe time doesn't really exist. Um, maybe uh, time is really measured in the mind. It is, it is, after all. It is our invention, in a sense, isn't it? Uh, it's just a perception. Uh, in other words, objects move. We measure... 
that movement, uh, the stars, the planets, and therefore we know that it takes time, uh, X number of, we can measure units of something or another for an orbit, say. Yes. Uh, but really, that, that really may be our invention. That may be our invention. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, if you look at physiological, biological time, um, you know, maybe it's the impression it leaves on the mind. I mean, our mind expects the future which then becomes the present. When it becomes the present, our mind attends to us, and then it becomes the past, which we remember. And maybe that future and past doesn't really exist. I think what's even more interesting, Art, if you look at uh, the world of quantum physics today, I have so many friends working in this field, and you look at what's coming out of, of the hard science, out of the particle accelerators and super colliders, right. it's more in line with the notions of time and space that were offered by the uh, the Hindus, the Buddhists, and the Taoists 2,000 years ago. Um, well, I was going to ask, in other words, uh, you're working on the, uh, the hardware aspect of time manipulation. That is correct. Which is really fascinating to me, but there may be another way to manipulate time in the metaphysical arena, uh, or do you sort of... Ah, you know, the answer to that question, I have an answer that I can't really back up well. Um, again, my, my whole life has been living in the world of mathematics and physics and living within right. the rigid walls, inside the walls of analytical science. But I personally believe uh, that as we keep developing our time control technologies and the applications emerge and then we look at true time travel or interdimensional travel, I think as much as we'll look at it with regards to technology and science uh, in terms of hardware, I think at the same time we'll see great advances uh, coming out of the study of the human mind and metaphysics and the power of the human mind. Maybe so. Um, but coming back to your hardware, if you put a clock in a time warp field, um, aren't there, in other words, what about this old thing of you cannot go back and meet yourself or you would uh, destroy yourself or something like that or kill your grandfather, you know, all these problems with potential time travel. On a smaller scale, wouldn't those problems also exist? In other words, if you've had a clock in a field and it's coming out of either the past or the future, in essence, when you, when you bring it out of the field, uh, doesn't it, in, a, in, in essence, collide with itself? Isn't there a potential problem there, or is there not? And if not, why not? I, I, don't believe, I don't believe in cause and effect or cause and consequence or whatever you want to say. I believe that cause and effect is dead. I think that uh, uh, that our, our world and, and the science of mathematics and physics now show that uh, time travel to the future, time travel to the past, or time control technology um, is all real science. Um, I think this notion of cause and effect is more um, more along the lines of, uh, of, of of paradoxes. Like for instance, it's nonsense to suggest that a moving object shrinks and gets heavier, or it's nonsense to suggest that a astronaut who travels to a distant star and returns will be younger than her twin brother she left behind. But it's not science fiction. Uh, it's science facts. And I think what we see here, Art, is really, uh, these are sometimes what we call paradoxes. But I think these paradoxes are places where our rational minds really bump into their own limitations. Well, I wouldn't see a paradox involved in, for example, a, an astronaut, as you point out, traveling, coming back, uh, and relatively not having aged. Don't see a paradox there. Correct. But in creating a field, a time warp field, as you have done, 
I do see a potential paradox or effect of some kind. In other words, here we've got something rushing as you bring it back from the future or the past back into the present again. Yes. How, my mind can't wrap around that concept. I think, I, I think there's, uh, when we talk about the, um, uh, the twin paradox or the astronaut traveling at high speeds, okay, that's, you're absolutely right. That's a, tr a time dilation in a forward direction. Uh, it's very simple to understand, and they're right. There's no way to go back into the past and change a cause and effect. But if you look at what Kurt Godel did and Frank Tipler um, with regards to closed time-like curves and rotating cylinders, um, they have shown that travel to the past does not violate the laws of math and physics. It's, it's reverse time travel again. Time travel to the past does I'm not I'm not familiar with them, please. What have they done? Oh, uh, well, Kurt Godel uh, in the 1940s, uh, it was a German mathematician, he um, came up with a concept of something called a closed time-like curve. And, uh, oh, wow, this, this, could be, this could be a very detailed conversation. That's all right. Uh, the, uh, essentially, it shows that um, uh, there's a concept called a light cone that, that many of your listeners might be familiar with. It's, it's a, a space-time diagram, and it shows that if you're a, an object, you must move forward in time. And if you move forward in time, you can't move at a faster speed than the speed of light. So if for, for every, place in, every place in space, there's what's called a light cone, where the forward faces in one, the future faces in one direction and the past faces in another direction. Okay. However, the orientation of the future and the past, or space-time at every point of space, we live in a world in a universe of curved space-time, can be different. So what Kurt Godel showed, and he was the first person to present it, was that if you're in a curved space, when curved space could be created by heavy gravity, um, that light cone, if you followed a sequence of light cones that each pointed in a different direction, eventually they could loop back on yourself. Heavy like, gravity as in really heavy gravity. Very as in heavy gravity. Black hole, edge of black hole type gravity, right? Uh, not, not, quite, not, quite, not quite that magnitude, no? but uh, very close, yes. Um, and Frank Tipler took Kurt Godel's work, and he expanded greatly on it, and even he published a number of papers on what's called the Tipler cylinder or the rotating cylinder. And it talks about a hypothetical cylinder you could, large, infinitely long cylinder you could build in space, heavy enough mass you rotate it, you could actually fly a ship along a specific path and go back into the past. And in art, what's most exciting about this, I'd encourage your listeners to read about it, is it is the first proof that shows that travel to the past does not violate math, the laws of math and physics. Well, it's that would be like uh, Star Trek. Uh, in other words, they ha they travel in, in essence, hyperdimensional space along a specific path and achieve time travel to the past. Yeah, I think in some ways, like, uh, for instance, in some of those movies where they uh, did the slingshot around the sun, you know, using the heavy gravity of the sun, where, where, that's where they were trying to capture, you know, some of the science behind it. Uh, well, we've but, done those kind of um, slingshot things with some of our satellites to attain speeds to get outside, you know, around Jupiter. There's plenty of gravity there, for example. Certainly. I think we've, slung, we've been slingshotting things that way for some, some time. Oh, so well, we, see, we see from satellites, Art, we see time dilation every day. When we have satellites that are on the opposite side of the sun from Earth, we can actually measure the time dilation due to gravity. Uh, we see the delays in the signals. Uh, coming from the satellite due to the gravity of the sun. Uh, these are all, again, it's all science facts. Doppler effect. Uh, in that case, no, in that case, it's no. more of a, um, 
Um, it, it, it's it's, the, it's a, a byproduct of Einstein's general relativity that heavy gravity curves space-time, so the signal travels a longer path or a shorter path. Well, a spacecraft way the hell out there should be able to get a signal back here at the speed of light. And are you suggesting to me that either it's getting here faster or slower as a result of the gravitational fields that it encounters on the way? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is, this is measured. This, this, this has been measured. I mean, you know, this has been measured, uh, I won't say dozens, hundreds of times. Uh, well, then aren't they sitting there scratching their heads saying, what the hell's going on? Oh, no, no, no. No, actually, in this case, um, when you talk about the effect of general relativity on a small scale, um, you know, dilating a signal so it comes back uh, two seconds or a couple hundred milliseconds later than it should because it's passing nearby the sun. Right. Um, that's that's a minor thing. Uh, it's relatively insignificant. But when you talk about increasing that to the point where you know Frank Tipler's model took it, where you're close enough to heavy gravity for a long enough time, uh, you literally can do it. And what's interesting, Art, nobody in the world, no physicist, no mathematician, since Frank Tipler published his paper in 1965, can disprove it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great place. If somebody wants to study uh, some of the fundamentals of, uh, of time travel to the past, start with the work done by uh, Frank Tipler. Rotating? Yeah. Actually, the name of his paper, uh, you can find it. Uh, you can find some information on our website under Tipler cylinders or rotating cylinders. Tipler cylinders. What specifically yeah. were they physically? Uh, it was, his was a theoretical model of a, a large, massive spinning cylinder. cylinder. And actually, we we have a. You know, you know what that reminds me of. Uh, I'm I'm sure there's no way in the world you miss seeing the movie Contact. No, I did see it. You're absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> Good. Do you remember the giant machine? Yes. Do you remember the giant rotating cylinder? Uh, the rotations yes. within rotations. Yes, I remember that. Did that seem really logical to you? Um. You know, and believe it or not, and there's some there's a couple theories about time travel to the past. I'm going to answer your question a little bit roundabout. Is that one is using a Tipler cylinder, a rotating cylinder, you can accomplish reverse time travel. The other is with the possibility of a wormhole. One of the new ones put mm -hmm. together by I'm going to get his name wrong, Agat from Princeton University. I forgot his first name. Right. With something called cosmic strings. Um, string theory. String. Uh, well, a little bit different. Um, the concept is with. Um, a rotating cylinder. There's there's a uh, theoretical object in, in 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 space that might be a remnant of the Big Bang called a, a hypothetical cosmic string, and if that was to pass by a spinning mass, it could create um, it could create um, warp space time or doctor, time doctor, like hold it, holy smokes, hold it right there. We'll be right back. Oh my goodness, my guest, Doctor David Anderson. I'm Art Bell. Say that she had the longest, quietest hair. The 
prettiest green eyes anywhere. And the reasoning of his latest flame. Call Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. And the wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. To reach out on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell from the Kingdom of Nine. Very good friend of mine, just back from an overseas trip, sends the following. Art, the subject tonight contains within it the ultimate enigma. And I am reminded of this observation. Time is God's way of keeping everything from happening all at once. Now, if we can just find a way to counter this entropy thing, your guest's exciting work may provide an incredible step in this direction. Dr. David Anderson will be right back. All right, once again, Dr. David Anderson. Uh, Doctor, very quickly, a couple of things have come in. A lot of faxes are just pouring in here. Um, a couple of them say the following. De Palma in the mid-60s, put an FM receiver above a shielded rotating mass, and the received frequency was shifted radically. Now, is that time travel or space-time alteration? Rotation, rotation, rotation. Yeah, it seems to be a common element, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, could, could you mention the name of the person who did the experiment again? De Palma. And here's another one. He put a clock over a rotating mass, and that clock slowed down. Again, a rotating mass, angular momentum equals changing space-time constants. Well, you know, as, as I mentioned, I, I'm, familiar, I'm not familiar specifically with this. Now, if well, it doesn't, it doesn't, the name doesn't matter. But does the uh, does the theory sound sound to you? If if the mass was extremely large, then the theory is very. It's consistent with Einstein's general theory of relativity. If the mass is small, then there would need to be something else going on for that type of, uh, of, of time dilation to occur, okay. time variance to occur. All right. Uh, here's one. Hi, Art. I'm interested in time travel, but wonder how it can be determined that time warping is the real effect being achieved and not some other effect that simulates time travel. Can it absolutely be determined this is actual time acceleration or, in, 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 or deceleration, for that matter? Our, 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 our experimentation is completely quantitative. Uh, our reference, imita- reference imitation that we've used, like I said, we didn't do this just off of, uh, of, of simply our, our tests with plant seedlings. We've used plant seedlings and germination cycles. We've used electrical clocks. Uh, we've used uh, mechanical clocks. Um, and we've accumulated the data. We've done the tests. And actually, that part of the testing is behind us. We have uh, that, that part done. With how much trepidation do you um, approach the next uh, uh, volley of tests? Well, the, and, uh, and what, what are they? <laughs> the, the next volley of tests is, is to compete, is, is to continue to work on what we're doing with the uh, tissue preservation. But the real big next step for us, Art, is to move into a living tissue or a live animal testing, which, you know, you know t- testing with animals or a living organism is a very controversial area. But even more so, 
Um, we actually, uh, a lot of people feel our experimentation into the study of time is blasphemy or is something that we shouldn't be doing. Well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure of that myself. Um, I, in other words, I do have questions. Um, since we don't, and we discussed this earlier, you you freely admit we don't understand the nature of time. Then we don't understand whether it's going to be, in essence, some sort of blasphemy, do we? I. I, I don't. I don't. That's feel a hard it. question. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's it's a wonderful question. Those are the best kind of questions, Art. Um, is that I, I don't feel it's blasphemous. I think the nature of time again, and our lack of understanding it, is really again just a place where our mind is bumping into its own limitation. I mean, we live in a wonderful universe, a wonderful world filled with all kinds of magic, and we just don't see it and we don't understand it all the time. And that doesn't mean um, uh, pursuing this is a wrong thing to do. Pursuing it with danger or risk to life would be a wrong thing to do. But pursuing time control technology and all the benefits that um, it's already showing us and that, again, we hope to have this in everyday application within the next five to ten So you really years. see nothing but uh, good morality and ethics in, involved? Yeah. Our, our biggest concern sometimes is, is could this technology be um, perverted or used for uh, mm -hmm. bad purposes? Well, here's another factor, a great show. Please ask Dr. Anderson if his funding is by the government uh, and at what point during his time, research, and development would the government come in, take control of his work in the name of national security? Now, before you say won't happen, remember uh, when Tesla died, uh, our government, in fact, rushed in, grabbed everything he had, including all the files and everything in his lab, and took it. And we still, to this very day, have not seen it. I don't. I don't know. I'm, uh, as you know, I'm a. I'm, I'm a patriot. I've, I've spent uh, a number of years as a scientist and engineer in the Air Force. Uh, right. Um, I'm very loyal to this country. Um, I also keep one eye open. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, the government's interest in my work right now uh, appears to be sincere and more of just a monitoring of the technology. I, mm. I can't anticipate that. Uh, I'm not a naive person, but uh, I like to think that uh, that won't become an issue as long as we control the technology and the security well enough ourselves. Oh, I don't know. There would be obvious. There would be obvious. There would be obvious military application. Or they'd sure think of one. Yeah. And eventually, I, eventually, yes, Art, I believe you're right. In another, in another five to ten, I mean, right now, the everyday applications we're going to see first are harmless and totally beneficial in the area of medical and, and scientific testing. Um, could this technology, as it continues to advance, be perverted into something uh, uh, destructive or uh, not for a good purpose? Uh, the answer is probably yes, uh, but I'm not concerned about it right now because we're not at that point. Well, I guess um, early on in, in the development of atomic energy, the, the primary goal was one of creating a bomb. You know, we weren't uh, thinking of uh, radiation for cancer cures, blunderbuss method as that may be. We were thinking about making a bomb to end a war. Yes. So you're, you're not operating under that same kind of uh, mandate and stress? Uh, not today I'm not, no. Um, and again, we monitor carefully. We obviously have a lot of security precautions in place. We, we protect our work. Um, and again, even if somebody had access to all of our technology today, they would, they would find it uh, 
um, mostly, you know, all the testing we've done, it really, the, the technology today couldn't be used for anything. Is your research facility, nevertheless, um, highly secure? It's, uh, <laughs> I can see it on nationwide radio, I'm going to say it's not secure. Uh, we're always looking for ways to improve <laughs> it. Uh, we have a lot of precautions with regards to our facility, more importantly, our information uh, and our systems. Um, uh, there's always ways to improve it and you know what we're always having attempted compromises the last one was probably last week so um, uh, compromises you mean in, uh, people trying to get your information yeah in this case last week it was somebody trying to get information trying to hack into our system which was kind of a, a useless attempt but uh, it was attempted nonetheless but let me ask this doctor if if you're doing what you say you are doing in this country then what are the Chinese doing? What are the Russians doing? What are the Swiss doing? What are the English doing? What's going on around the world? Do you have any sense at all of other um, parallel experimentation? Because that tends to occur with almost every new technology, parallel experimentation. What's going on elsewhere? Any hints? Absolutely. Uh, first off, I'll tell all your listeners, um, if, if they're making a big mistake, if they don't think that, Public investors, private investors, and governments all around the world are funding research in this area. Our government's doing it. It's a matter of public record. Well, I didn't um, know that. Uh, it's, it's done under, I think, back in the late 80s, as early as the late 80s, some of the investments started. Uh, they do it under the guise of, uh, of uh, labels like closed time-like curve research. Well, you know what a closed time-like curve is? No, sir. It's time travel to the past. <laughs> it's, it's, it's retarding time, time travel to the past. That's exactly what it is. There's no other interpretation of it. By what method? Um, well, in this case, it was a theor theoretical funding that started back in the 80s by the U.S. government. It was funding of theoretical research. Um, and uh, this continues to go on. In the former Soviet Union, there were a number of projects in place. Uh, those have kind of faded, uh, mostly due to funding. There's still a few scientists there holding on. Uh, uh, Dr. Novikov, uh, uh, who's the other person? Uh, yeah, they're pretty broke. Yeah, that, that's their biggest problem right now. Um, Alexander uh, Frolov is also trying to do some work. He's not making quite as much progress as Dr. Do you, do you think we're doing the leading research right now? I think um, <laughs> I, th I, I think the answer to that is yes. I believe the answer to that is the yes. You look at some of the uh, theoretical work that uh, Kip, Kip Thorne is doing, uh, uh, Dr. Gott um, in the United States. Uh, uh, this, this is wonderful work. Uh, uh, but, but again, I'm not naive. There's, there is work going on in other areas. In China, I don't know. Um, you, you do understand that what you're saying to a lot, uh, tonight uh, to many, many people out there, including me, by the way, is a complete blow away. We had no idea that such experimentation was underway anywhere, much less here, much less Long Island. Well, I, I think I think the interesting thing is is that you know the I think the hardest part is is like I said earlier sometimes we we shrink all this uh, magic in the world to the size of our daily routines and you know we have a lot of uh, cultural um, and biological evolution where we're conditioned that time is a certain thing but uh, what's interesting is these concepts uh, like for instance we were just talking before the last break about um, reversing time travel and the death of cause and effect um, this is taught. Uh, this concept of space-time uh, diagrams and closed time-like curves is now taught in college-level physics courses. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is not. Uh, but what's interesting is because we don't see the effects of this apparent in our daily lives, and we haven't been exposed to it, we don't accept it, or we don't think about it. 
It doesn't mean it's not there. This uh, this could eventually lead to real time travel. What do you imagine if if real time travel, Doctor, were to become possible? Not just time control in in the field that you've created, but real time travel. What would be the rules attached to it? Would there be rules? In other words, if I were to travel back into time, would I be able to physically interact in that time in, in, in every normal way one can imagine, or would I be not fully in that time? I remember, I'm not even uh, sure what I'm asking here. No, but that's fine. It's, it's actually, believe it or not, it's one of the, uh, the large, the biggest philosophical questions around uh, this type of research. Uh, uh, that's going on in di a lot of different fields. Because as we leave this time in your in your time warp field, we get we see a darker presence to a material object. So one would imagine as you as you move deeper into time travel, forward or re reverse, that there would be shifts that would occur. The kind of shifts you're talking about in in time manipulation or time control that might virtually make you I don't know invisible. Or, or dysfunctional in, in another time? Well, you know, to answer your first question, um, I think a lot of people are familiar with the physicist Stephen Hawking. He, a uh, oh, number yes. years back, he published a paper called The Chronology Projection, Protection Conjecture. And it was exactly what it sounds like. He said that, that uh, even if you could be able to go, you know, it was physically impossible for time travel, and if you could go back in time, you could never change anything because somehow the universe will protect its timeline. Yes. Now he, he since that was early on in his career, he since repealed that, and he now stands with all the physicists of the world saying that time travel to the past does not violate the laws of physics and mathematics. But it is a question: Is there something that would protect you uh, or prevent you from going back and altering a timeline? Um, I think one of the things that uh, a lot of people see as a first application is is viewing through time versus travel through time. Right. The ability to go, ability to go back and view um, uh, events that happened in the past or events that might be in the future. And that's one way that some... Yeah, I, I can imagine that would be, certainly would come before a physical uh, transference. And, and a lot of people bring that up, Art, because that's their way of addressing the issue that, you know, if you, it's, it's the issue of the butterfly's wing. What happens if you went back to the days of the... Uh, the dinosaur and you stepped on a butterfly, well, that butterfly didn't flap its wings the next minute and create a breeze that created a storm and the whole history of the Earth was, uh, <laughs> That's was right, destroyed. Yes. And um, by, remote, by only having viewing capability, you could never interact. And therefore that seems very time. radical to me. Um, I, I, would, I would think that uh, Occam's razor would suggest that such a small occurrence would not have such a large effect. Yes. M wouldn't it? More, more quickly, in other words, that uh, it would be sort of like a ripple that would dissipate and the current would continue as before? I, it's possible. It's possible. I, I, I don't know the answer, but I've, I've looked at it from both sides, and, and I, I go around in circles every time I get into the discussion. So it's a good point you're raising. Though. Well, when you activate this uh, time warp field and you're sitting there staring at an object getting darker, moving forward or reverse in time, no, wait a minute. You said darker only in one direction. Which was it? Yeah. The, 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 again, the object, it's when, you, when, you, when we accelerate the time rate inside the field, so the time rate is moving faster than outside of the field, we actually see, um, we actually see a darkening of the object. But that's, that's, that's an optical effect. It's an optical effect of 
the change in the colors or the frequencies. As a matter of fact, it's very similar for your for your listeners. It's very similar to a radar gun that a, a, a policeman would use. Um, he fires off a frequency. Um, you know, you know, say it's a you know uh, hundred megahertz hits your car, and when it comes back, it's a hundred megahertz plus the speed of your car. That's right. And it's a Dopplering. It's a Dopplering effect. He's seeing a Absolutely. higher frequency, and he knows the difference. And that's exactly what happens. Colors are frequencies. That machine measures the difference and reads out 70 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, yes. whatever. Yeah, so and that's exactly what we're seeing. The Dopplering effect in our boundary layer is really just you know, increasing or decreasing the frequencies of the colors of the object. Yeah, I know. But when you're sitting there looking at that object, changing in that manner, you are sitting there watching time warp. I mean, what kind of experience psychologically is that I, I suppose by now you're used to it but the first time you saw something like that happen in your experimentation you must have just been in awe I still am Art I still am uh, we have a very interesting setup we have a mechanical uh, it's, it's a mechanical um, um, a clock that uses uh, metal balls um, it's, it's, it's a pure, very simplistic metal clock but part of the mechanism of the clock are these balls that slide down a tray and then drop through the air into another part of the clock. And what we can actually see as we um, retard the time rate, or I'm sorry, reduce the time rate inside the field, you can see the balls falling slower. Uh, the, the, the impression, the effect on people who have seen it and still on myself is amazing. You cannot, it's hard to walk down the street and look at the world other than just this amazing place and world of dynamic web of energy and uh, a place where space and time uh, are things that we just are, are, are wonderful. It's uh, anyway. I'm going off. I would, it, talk uh, about this would, would such travel into the past for a biological entity, were it possible, make that? Uh, would the entity arrive uh, in another time, still aging at the same linear rate, with time moving at the same linear rate, or would that biological organism arrive in the past and be younger? Ah, well, first off, <laughs> biologically speaking, biologically speaking, uh, like say for instance in, in our, in, as we retard time, uh, or you look at the case of, uh, of, uh, of rotating cylinders or Tipler cylinders, in that case the biological entity would be sent back into time and they would remain at the same age and they would age at a normal rate. Um, the question becomes, if you send somebody back in time, you can right. send their biological uh, what about their what about their spirituality? This is a question that gets asked me, and maybe your listeners have some answers because I don't. You know, to send somebody back in time, what does that do to the uh, spiritual aspects of one's mind and, and person and soul? Uh, we don't know the answer to that. I sure don't either. I, I have no idea. Um, I think that it would uh, it might it might challenge some closely held beliefs, mightn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. It, um, um, you know, what's interesting is this challenging of some of these closely held beliefs began as early as the 1960s. Um, you know, like I said, every, you know, you could pick up the phone and call any physicist, any Nobel Prize-winning physicist, and ask them about uh, Tipler cylinders and uh, general relativity and uh, uh, is reverse time travel possible without violating the laws of math and physics. They'll all tell you the same thing, yes. But we decide, we choose not to see it. Um, you know, it's absolutely amazing sometimes. Well, one of the uh, the, the great uh, uh, theoretical physicists that I speak with is uh, Dr. Michio Kaku. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, a wonderful sure individual. Many, many times. I guess you may have heard of him. Oh, of course. I think everybody knows uh, his books, uh, Hyperspace. Yeah, sure. Know. He's and done some wonderful work on Co-founder of the String Theory. Absolutely. So on and on. So um, he has suggested that, yes, time travel, uh, he believes, may be possible eventually, but the amount of power required. Ah. Yeah, that's, that was interesting. That was one of the points I brought up early on in our discussion, is the most exciting thing about our time warp field technology, and the most amazing thing to us is the fact that um, we've produced these results without the energy that's predicted. Like, for instance, uh, a lot of people say the amount of energy required to tear time and space is something called the Planck's constant. Yes. Um, uh, in this case, that's, that's the exciting thing. To a physicist, the exciting thing about our time warp field technology is that we've accomplished it with a significant lower level of power. That, that's and so obviously the goal of the uh, continued research would be to get closer and closer and closer to smaller amounts of power producing larger effects, yes? Yeah, we're much closer there. And, and actually, um, I think that's where, um, where, where a big part of our discovery was. And I think everybody's familiar with electromagnetic waves. As a matter of fact, everybody's sitting in front of a radio right now listening. Uh, some Receiving. of them are probably on the internet, internet listening to uh, streaming audio, but uh, most of them are probably listening to a radio. Um, Doctor, hold that thought. I'm sorry. Clock says, uh, my clock says what it says, and I can't change that, so I've got to take a break here. Hold on. Dr. David Anderson is my guest, and we are talking about time. Don't touch that dial. West of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. The wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. And to call Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell from the Kingdom of Nine. You know, where time and spirituality meet the road, you've got to wonder if uh, some of the, the strange things that we discuss here, the apparitions, the ghosts, the spirits, the whatever you want to call them, if they don't have something to do with time... That if there isn't uh, every now and then some sort of aberration with regard to time that produces these things that we simply cannot explain, worth a little bit of thought. God, this is fascinating. Uh, it, we are going to go to the phones with Dr. Anderson shortly, but uh, just a few more things. Uh, doctor, 
you heard what I said coming into this hour. Um, you know, if a spirituality and uh, all, all of this hits the road at the same time. Uh, yes, I, I agree. You know, when you when you mentioned uh, uh, Michio Keku's uh, work in hyperspace, he even draws some of those uh, uh, ideas that perhaps a lot of these. Uh, a lot of spiritual beliefs, um, a lot of people suffering from multiple personality disorders, schizophrenia, or possibly in tune with other parallel universes. Yes. Uh, uh, a lot of interesting possible ties there. Um, here's a, a hardware question regarding the field that you have created. If the object uh, which you have said uh, going forward uh, or reverse would begin, you would begin to see visual detectable changes uh, in the spectrum, right? That is correct. Okay. If the object uh, was actually in a slower time and um, it went back far enough or forward far enough, is it not probable that eventually it would simply disappear from the field? Uh, I don't think so. I, I don't think so because what we're seeing again is an optical phenomenon. It just means that it's again similar to the uh, the radar gun used by uh, you know a policeman. Yes, that we're but... seeing an increase of the frequency when we at the end of say we've had that object in the field and we've accelerated it at 300 percent say for two or three hours. When we tune the field, when we modulate the field back down and remove the object, the object is still the same color. It's still the same. Um, uh, there's no different in the material structure of the object or makeup. But you've changed something in. Time. In other words, certainly that object has either been is now aged uh, either more or less than the other objects around it. But but for that to have occurred, it had to actually be in a somewhat phys physically it had to be in a different time as well, two places at once, or progressively in two places at once. I'm not sure of what I'm saying, but I'm trying to closing my eyes and I'm imagining the process. No, I, I understand. Sometimes um, it all comes back to the nature of time, which we exactly, yeah. exactly. But if it were to disappear ultimately, then you've got the time travel machine kind of time travel. That is correct. We have not we have not seen any effect like that. I mean, we've been doing yeah. live experiments now for yeah. almost three three and a half years, and uh, we haven't seen any phenomena of an object disappearing. What would you conclude if you did? If I did, oh. In other words, if uh, at some advanced point with a smaller amount of power and a larger effect, an object disappeared, what would you conclude? What would you imagine had well, occurred to that object? I'd, oh, wow. I, we've given this some thought uh, because, as I mentioned before, there are, there are many. We have many questions. Sometimes in some areas we have more questions than answers. And uh, uh, matter of fact, you brought this up. One of the other areas that we have where we have a big question is we seem to be receiving power inside the time warp field that is not coming from us. That like cannot be accounted for. Cannot be accounted for. When I say that, we know from our time warp field theory model and the basic models and laws of physics how much energy should be required to maintain our field. When we induce a field and create it, we pull the power back on the laser array to maintain it. However, the amount of energy we're inducing is not enough to achieve the, the field. Achieve the so effect. Where's the energy coming from? 
we know it's there. We have sensor arrays. We can see what energy is active. Is it coming from? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being hypothetical now. Is it coming from uh, a parallel universe? Uh, is it coming from hyperspace? Is it coming from uh, maybe an effect of quantum gravitation that we don't understand? This zero point stuff that people talk about. Yes, exactly. And uh, we actually have a project called Project Prime Zero that's dedicated totally to trying to understand what we're seeing here. And, and that energy loss is one of our biggest unknowns right now today. So then, yeah, if, It's not if, a loss of energy. It's an unknown source of energy. So then if an object disappeared, you'd be sitting there not knowing whether it really had simply physically moved to another time or had essentially been dissembled, uh, its molecules uh, scattered to the wind. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I realize I didn't answer your question. <laughs> uh, that's, that's why I brought it up again. The, the answer is I think more and more um, uh, I'm, I'm believing, uh, I think I would give a lot of credibility to the idea uh, of it moving into another universe. If I saw this, and again, hypothetically, again, I have not seen this yet. We have not seen this. As opposed to another time, another universe rather than an, another time parallel universe yes because I believe again I believe time um, is really just uh, uh, more of an artificial creation I, I think this this notion of past present and future is uh, I think we'll find out it'll become very self-evident that our understanding of what we label time isn't a, a very good understanding you know what's interesting uh, uh, for your for your listeners who like to do a little bit of research there's a and you mentioned this issue about what about uh, uh, all these other phenomena we see, whether it be uh, yes. you know, things in spirituality or multiple personality yes. disorders or schizophrenia. Well, or even, even stranger things, uh, Doctor, like an apparition or a ghost or... Teleportation. You know, something that to us uh, is magic. I mean, uh, if something manifests itself, and we uh, believe me, I am in touch with some of the top researchers in the nation, um, like the Bigelow people, I'm sure you've heard of them, and they've got a ranch, and they've done some really incredibly tight scientific work uh, documenting things that are just simply, absolutely, totally can't be. They're anomalous, and yet they've got documentation of them. Yes. Now, mightn't some of these weird things have answers when your work uh, matures? I think so. I, I think what we're looking at too, um, we, we look at we look at some of these things. Like we talk about uh, uh, the telekinesis, the teleportation, and all the other things you sure, mentioned. Sure. And we keep them separate sometimes from from uh, from the analytical science. What's interesting is I think sometimes they're complementary. Neither one can be comprehended in the other right now, nor can either of them be reduced to the other. But kind of both of them are are, are necessary. Both of them are true, and both of them have a foundation. But I think what we're going to lead, what this is leading to, is eventually there will be a common bridge and a common scientific model that will tie together a lot of the ideas held within spirituality and this other research like being done by Bigelow and the people sitting there in the, uh, the quantum physics labs. I think eventually we'll see a new model of the universe uh, that will tie to that. As a matter of fact, there's a gentleman I just met. I was in Europe about four weeks ago, a gentleman by the name of Mihai Draganescu. Uh, he works at the Romanian Academy in Bucharest, right. and uh, he has a theory that there's no such thing as matter and space and time. There's only information and energy, and universes are spun off of this, and he has done a tremendous <laughs> amount of work. And it, it, he addresses within his theory not only issues that address with the hard, you know, the, the hard issues of analytical physics and science, 
but it also transcends into spirituality and teleportation and other things. And it's a single model that bridges all this together. It's fascinating work. Um, you've heard Kaku talk, haven't you, about the bubble, the theory of a bubble, a universe, a, a sort of a bubble of... I don't have the right words for it, unfortunately. Uh, but but um, an informational kind of thing that you just talked about, in essence, uh, a universe created purely from information. And energy, yes. <laughs> yes I'm familiar with his work, too. And uh, who else is it? Uh, there's another gentleman uh, uh, who's done uh, uh, some work. Uh, uh, he did a book called The Conscious Universe, uh, uh, Kafatos. I'm not spelling, pronouncing his name properly, but... Uh, uh, similar work as well, and this is a new uh, Dr. Keiku, uh, Kafatos, and Mihai Dragonescu. The three of them are probably three of the people at the leading edge of this new model of the universe. Whew. All right, there are a lot of people waiting to talk to you, so let's try some questions and see how we do with that. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Dr. Anderson. Hi. Hi, Art. Hi, Dr. Anderson. Hello. Uh, yeah, I have a question. All right, where are you, sir? Oh, I, my name is Joshua. I'm from. Spring Creek, Nevada. All right, Joshua. Let her rip. Uh, yeah. I inside the field. Um, what effect does gravity have on anything inside the field? Actually, right now, um, in terms of gravity, uh, we see no. Uh, if you're talking about physical observed gravity with regards to weight and other issues, we don't yes. see any effect, any change whatsoever. What we do see, though, Joshua, is I mentioned to you that, um, well, I just mentioned just earlier that we saw uh, there seems to be an unknown source of energy. And uh, what we believe it might be possibly due to is some type of quantum gravity that we don't understand or some type of perhaps, I'll use the word a little bit differently, microgravity. Um, obviously, the effects that we're producing within our time warp field are due to, um, are more in line with the models of general relativity that talks about how mass and gravity can warp space and time. And that's what we're seeing more than anything else. And we believe that there is a gravity effect, but not anything that would be uh, more of a weight issue. It's more of a boundary layer issue. Okay, one other question. Uh, is there a connection to your research to uh, torsion field research? I'm sorry, I didn't understand. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, is there a connection between your research and uh, torsion field, spin field? Oh, oh torsion. Yes. Um, a, a little bit. I wouldn't say a lot, no. Um, not at this time. So, in other words, then, uh, thank you, caller, if, uh, if a clock, uh, on top of its uh, value as a clock for the kind of research you're doing in that field, were placed on a scale, something I'm sure you've done, you see no difference. There is no difference. That is correct. But we do believe in the boundary layer that... Let me think about that. Yeah. It, the, the, we do believe, though, in the boundary layer that the, the time rate divergence that we create is due to... Uh, more general relativ relativistic laws, um, and we also uh, feel that that might have some play in why we're seeing um, um, uh, energy within the field that we're not injecting into it. Okay. Uh, wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Anderson. Good morning. Hello. Hello. Got, Hello. A, good, got a question for you. All right. Where are you, you? Where are you oh, first? Oh, this is Mark in Gloversville, New York. All right. I was wondering, have you attempted to put a small TV inside the field to pick up a live broadcast in the future? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Mike, it's a wonderful question. The answer is no, we have not, but, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see. Um, actually, Maybe a little LCD model. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Actually, based on the model, um, the, the, based on the model, I don't think I don't think we would see anything. But you know what? It might be worth talking about with the team here just to try it, just to rule it out as a uh, possibility. <laughs> Is All right, thank, thank you. You're quite welcome. Thank Mike. you. Uh, he's got an awfully good point in a, in a way. Theoretically, if the object is moving into the future or moving into the past, its ability to be picking up what's broadcast live should be to some degree compromised, shouldn't it? Well, the, actually, this is a real, this is a real um, common, uh, I, I'll call it a little bit of a common misconception, is that um, I'm going to go back and use a simpler example. If we look at special relativity, let's talk about the twin, the astronaut who flies off to a distant star and returns. She did not travel into the future. She experienced a accelerated time rate or a decelerated time rate, I should say, with regards to the person left behind. Mm -hmm. um, with that said, is that you know those types of things, like some people have said, when you slow down time, wouldn't that um, another common misconception is that astronaut who's traveling to the distant star, her time rate slows so much, wouldn't that mean that her temperature would slow down and her her you know the temperature would go to absolute zero and she would die or uh, the answer is no. I mean, the, the laws of, uh, of special relativity and general relativity really wouldn't uh, allow that. But like I said, Mike brings up such a wonderful point. It might be worth a try just to uh, know it uh, is or isn't. Well, you would be creating, you would be obviously creating such a large field that electromagnetic reception would be compromised anyway, so I don't know if you'd get a good experiment. Yeah, we would see Dopplering of the uh, <laughs> electromagnetics coming in and out. But it is, it is very, very interesting. As a matter of fact, there's probably ways we could take that. Maybe Mike has given us the idea for another new project to put on the board in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> you guys on, on, on Long Island. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air uh, with Dr. Anderson. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yes, you're on the air. This is uh, Scott from Austin, Texas. Yes, sir. Hello, Scott. Uh, this is my first contact with Art. <laughs> well, hi there. And uh, I got uh, uh, everything broke down real simple. Uh, can be either expressed in space, atoms, or opinions. That's for you, Art. And I got a question for the the doctor. Yes. In the EMR radiation spectrum, you got ionizing radiation, which is uh, X-rays, UVs, visual, and non-ionizing radiation, which is radio, microwave, VDTs, and uh, even in the non-ionizing uh, frequency, you know, ELF is 100 hertz frequency down to 10, you know, which will attack and rupture the organic molecules in the human cells. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, of what frequency are you testing in? All right, that's a really good question. Hold the answer, doctor. In fact, you stay on the line, caller. Uh, we've got a break here, but that's a really, really good question. In what frequency range? Now, that, that may be... That may be proprietary. I, I, I don't know. We'll find out. But it's a really good question. I know in the case of the Philadelphia experiment, I know what the range was there. So we'll find out here in a moment. I'm Art Bell.
to reach Art Bell in the Kingdom of Nye. From west of the Rockies, dial 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. Or use the wild card line at 1-775-727-1295. To reach Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell on the Premier Radio Networks. And Dr. David Anderson is my guest. He has created something that I had no idea existed. He's actually controlled time. He's doing it now. He's created a time warp field technology. Bet you didn't know about that, did you? Because I sure didn't. I mean, this really is very serious news. And the direction it's headed, uh, well, that may be even more serious. Tell you what, you stay right there and we'll do more. All right, this is really something. Back now to Dr. David Anderson and uh, our caller. And caller, if you would uh, rephrase your question quickly. Yeah, I was just uh, curious of what frequency range he was uh, tested in. Well, it's a two-part answer, Scott. Uh, if, um, as I mentioned, that there are two things that happen with frequency in our um, in our experiments. The first one is we do induce a rotational magnetic field, and there's two components to that. Uh, the frequency that we use. One of them is just over um, uh, just over the uh, the 10 meter uh, band, just over the TV band. The other one falls right at about 405 megahertz, which is probably going to fall very close to probably, I don't know, where was the Philadelphia experiment at? <laughs> don't tell me it was 405. Um, uh, actually, um, actually, it was 100 and something, yeah. 130 or 40 megahertz, I believe, yeah. and then later, 400 megahertz. Yeah, what's interesting, as I mentioned before, though, Scott, is that the frequency that we use, um, or just the fact that we're inducing the rotational uh, electromagnetic field, is is important for stability, but it's not a key fundamental thing. The other place where frequency plays a role, as I mentioned, was in the Dopplering effect uh, on whatever we place inside the field and what's outside the field, how it you know when it passes through the boundary layer, how it gets Doppler up or down. Did I answer okay. your question, Scott? Uh, yeah. Well, theoretically, uh, would uh, time travel be able to? Let's get eight hours of sleep in four hours. <laughs> oh, you know, I think that's my uh, personally. That's my number one goal. I want to figure out how not to sleep. I always, <laughs> always think about the uh, the notion that by the time I'm 60 years old, I will slept for 20 years, and I can't afford that much downtime. Fewer so. slices of death. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Mark, keep us up to date. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Um, all right. I've got one for you. If time travel were possible, I, I understand this is calls for speculation on your part, but I just thought about this. If time travel were possible and we could go truly into the past and you took a very you did a very safe experiment and took somebody who had just died and moved them into the past would we have in the past a dead body or an animated body you would have my, my personal belief is a dead body I'd say the alternative would be to go back before that person died, then pick them up, and then take them into the past uh, to give them more time. But uh, <laughs> not with. Uh, I think again. I think what um, all the relativistic effects that have ever been tested since the 1960s all show that uh, um, 
uh, that type of effect wouldn't happen. A dead, a dead body taken back would be dead. But if you went back before the death, picked up that person and took them back, then you would have you know, obviously give them perhaps more time, depending on why they died. Or uh, moving toward one of your uh, hoped-for applications, you might move back in time and find the person had a weakened artery wall that was about to kill them uh, and, uh, and or did kill them in a certain time and move back and uh, after the autopsy, uh, uh, go back and uh, uh, medically repair that before the before the, the the horrible accident. A lot of interesting possibilities. Absolutely right. <laughs> West of the Rockies, you're on the air with uh, uh, Dr. David Anderson. Hello. Hello, uh, Senator Bell and Dr. Anderson. Hello. Uh, I called to comment about the relationship of space to time, but may I say one thing before that? Uh, I was so happy to hear Dr. Anderson talk about the fact that he thought we uh, exist in a sort of a false reality because uh, that is uh, exactly what the Ascended Masters teach. They are, they are the higher spiritual beings. They say we, we do live in a false uh, reality, and uh, they say uh, in reality there really is no space or time. But with that said, speaking of space and time, a long time ago, many years ago, it occurred to me uh, that space has some kind of a relationship to time. And uh, it seems that I've proved it to myself over the years. If I live in very, uh, very close, uh, very small quarters with a lot of uh, things around me, especially if they're not kept in a good order, etc. I find I, I'm very, very limited in my time. Then when I have more space and larger quarters and if uh, I don't have so many material things around me, I seem to have very, very much more time. And <laughs> I think that probably would uh, affects everybody that way and they haven't realized it. Is there that relationship, Doctor? I, I don't know. This is probably something I, I, I'm not qualified to comment on. When I when I speak of space and time, I'm, I'm looking at it more. I, again, I probably have to apologize to your caller because I think I've spent too much time in the world of, uh, of pure analytical uh, science, but uh, I don't discount what she's saying. Yes, well, I'm certainly enjoying your program very much. All right. Thank you very much for the call. I, I think I understand what she's saying, but I understand also why you would not have an answer for that. But it's interesting. Um, uh, hi there. Um, first time caller line. You're on the air with Dr. David Anderson. Hi, Art. This hi. is Jason in Olympia, Washington. Jason, you're going to have to yell at us a little. You're not too loud. Okay. Hi, Art. Um, my question for Dr. Anderson is, um, with your time alteration experiments, have you ever attempted these... Uh, experiments with the clock mechanism shielded in uh, like a metal ball, something that would completely isolate it from the electromagnetic field that you're generating, but still placing it within the boundary layer. And would you have any measurable time dilation effects under those conditions? The answer to that question is absolutely yes, we have. Uh, we've used a number of different materials with a lot of different uh, um, uh, I, I guess I'll say uh, characteristics uh, with different uh, permeability and permittivity uh, from metals to synthetics and other things, and we have seen no effect as a result of having a clock inside a, a shield, which was interesting to us. We weren't sure exactly what to expect, and we finally got the field size sure. larger, 
we were able to uh, run those experiments, and we have not seen any any detriment to having everything within that within the shell of the boundary layer is affected to the time rate divergence. So, in other words, the shield and the clock itself would be equally affected. That is correct. Caller. Yeah, that that makes good sense if it's a gravitational effect. Sure does. Uh, the other one that I would ask um, is if you have a light source outside of the transition region uh -huh. and it reflects or it passes through the boundary region, ah. reflects off of the object and then comes back out, the Doppler shift through the transition should be linear in both directions. Um, is there any polarization effects? I, you mentioned a darkening, um, but is there any other uh, blurring effects or, or things of that nature? Uh, in light that bounces off of the object. Well, this conversation gets a little complicated because when the object we put inside the field has a light source, and many times we do that, we put a light source within the field with the object and the, uh, the, the, reference, experiment, the reference equipment that we're using, that light source and the light that it's reflecting off the object and out is doppered out. Um, going into the field, uh, what's interesting, you talk about light sources. If you think about this for a minute, we have a, a laser array of 12 lasers firing into this field. And when the Doppler rate is accelerated, when the frequency is accelerated as light passes into the field, we have exactly what you say. And we really haven't looked at, uh, like for instance, the laser ambient light as it goes into the field coming out and any polarization effects. Uh, it really hasn't been. Uh, uh, well, that would be uh, coherent light, so it should be pretty easy to notice any uh, effects that that would cause. Um, I was just wondering if it might be like a blurring effect, like heat distortion, uh, yeah. like you'd see on a desert road. Um, the only reason I really ask that is, is that uh, over the years there's been a number of photographs taken of UFOs, and a lot of these photographs, um, some of them are blurry, and I mean a lot of it you could write off to just bad <laughs> camera work. But uh, if, if some of these blurring effects was like a Faraday rotation yes. or some sort of magnetic like dichloric response, um, then maybe there's a parallel between some sort of UFO propulsion mechanism and what you're working with. Doctor? Well, we see, we see some, um, when, when you talk about the blurring, and this is going to be different, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, um, necessarily saying what you're saying supports what we're seeing here, but the boundary layer is not, I mean, it's not a purely linear and stable at every range where we experiment and test. Um, when we have a light source inside the field and we're looking at an object, there is, some, there is some blurring, but I don't think it would be similar to the same effect that you're bringing up. So are you then constantly striving to uh, stabilize the field? Uh, the field is very stable from accelerating to 300% and, and, and slowing down time rates down to about 15. <sighs> but but here's, here's the issue. What we really want to do is, and we've done it, we've gone down to a zero time rate and tried to approach a negative time rate with inside the field. Right. And as we do that, though, as we get to 10% of the reference time rate, which, again, is the rate which time passes outside of the field, um, we have an instability where the boundary layer starts not collapsing, but it uh, enlarges or shrinks to the core of the, the field. And that's a problem. If we ever want to be able to regress disease, we have huh. to solve that problem. <laughs> All right. Um, wild card line, you're on the air with Dr. Anderson. Hello. Yeah, your anomalous uh, power source is probably coming from a different time of your experiment. <laughs> it, it could be. It could be. We have, I have absolutely, on, on that, that uh, unexplained power that we're seeing, we know it's there. Either, put it this way, we know a couple things. We either know that, um, again, we're, what we're seeing is when we create a field, we're not the power we're providing isn't enough to keep it open 
So we either have equipment that's in error, which we've ruled out, or the laws of physics are wrong, which we don't think they are, or there's a power source coming from within the field, and you're very well right. Maybe it's coming from uh, uh, the power that we're injecting at other times into the uh, field ourselves and not from another uh, uh, universe. Who knows? We measure speed of light by... Hello? Yes. What what happened to him? I guess he went away. Oh, well, we we lost him. Um, <laughs> Doctor, uh, have you ever, in a wild moment, wondered, sitting in the lab, whether one day you might, uh, you know, get a knock at the door, and there is an old, gray Dr. Anderson saying, you want a quantum leap? <laughs> I've um, I, I've wondered. I think one of my uh, personality flaws and personality strengths is I'm a little too focused on my work. I live for my work, uh, probably 12, 16 hours a day. So I understand. I don't I don't give uh, a lot of thought to it, but at times it does cross the mind. And the other question, maybe I can anticipate. A lot of people say, if you ever do expand the technology and to a point a human can step inside and go anywhere, where would you go in time? And I don't know the answer to that one either. Is there is there any reason why that couldn't happen that you can imagine? I, I, I and, in other words, as we imagine the power that you can't account for, perhaps coming from other experiments you have performed in the same rough place uh, a year or two years or ten years from now, then we might also uh, imagine the possibility of, uh, in other words, could it happen? Could could you come back providing yourself a quantum leap in technology, or would that be disallowed with what we understand or think we might know about the nature of time? I do not think. I, I hold firmly my ground, and, and I think uh, I think uh, if you put the top 20 physicists in the room, 19 or 20 of them would agree is that uh, it is not precluded. I mean, Not precluded. No, it is not precluded that a person could travel back into time. Uh, it may be incredibly difficult. Um, it but. may be incredibly difficult to achieve either due to power or a lot more work to do on technology, but it is not impossible. It does not violate the law. Well, then, uh, how about this one? If time travel is to be possible, no matter when that might be, the uh, the big question is then where uh, be all the time travelers? That's a good question. It's a good question. Um, um, that, that's the one that's used to. Uh, that's the one Stephen Hawking uses in his uh, con chronology protection conjecture that we talked about earlier. He says his his rationale for belief that there is no, time travel is impossible because we're not overwhelmed with time travel. Um, one of the most common views is is that, and, and Frank Tipler holds to this, is that when a time when the first time machine that a human is built, uh, he won't be able to go back any further than the day in time that the time machine was first constructed. And I don't believe that. Um, you know, who knows? Perhaps it's explained through some of the theories of parallel universes and hyperspace. Uh, another one is, uh, uh, you know, the parallel universe theory that says if you go back and alter the timeline, the original timeline continues, but a parallel timeline branches off. You know, perhaps that is an explanation. I'm not sure I agree, but perhaps it is. So that you would change an event, and events would continue in that timeline, based on that change, um, on a totally kind of like on, on a separate highway, but the original highway would continue on as, unchanged. Exactly. Unchanged, is that exactly. correct? Exactly. So at any point in time, there are literally 
uh, an unlimited or an infinite number of parallel universes all progressing at the same time. Wouldn't we vastly complicate that with uh, time travel? We would begin to cause all these branches. Uh, it's possible, and you brought up that issue before. Are there dangers to the technology? Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe that could be one of the points. Do you, uh, with your team, spend much time talking about these dangers? We uh, we talk we we talk about many things. Uh, uh, the what are your worries? Our biggest worries is not is to resist the temptation to try to test on a living person or animal too quickly, uh, because we want to we want to make this leap. We want to get. But what's a mouse? What's going. a mouse more or less? What's that? What's a mouse more or less? Um, uh, it depends. It depends on the individual you're asking the question to. Uh, it really does. Um, I'm asking you. You're asking me. A mouse more or less. Uh, in other words, how can you resist that temptation? Uh, yeah, I, I believe, personally, I believe that uh, um, that the use of animals for testing, provided it is for a, a greater good, be it for animals or people or otherwise, is yes. good. I mean, reckless use of animals for scientific testing is something that uh, just isn't very uh, politically... You're pretty sensitive to the issue. Yeah, very sensitive to the issue. Um, the biggest reason why I'm sensitive to it, Art, is I don't have strong feelings along that line, but what I don't want to see is uh, our, our research and advancing our research to become a political movement or issue. And if we try to test on uh, living animals too quickly and we had a mishap, it could really affect us politically and it really could literally affect our real research. Have you read Crichton's uh, latest book? What's the name? Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it myself now. I just read it. Um, oh, you know what? I have to think I have it sitting here. And it's, uh, oh, I should know that. My wife is yelling it from the other room, and I can't hear it. She'll, she'll come in here and tell me in a second. It's important. Oh, timeline. Timeline, thank you. Uh, the answer is I have the audio tapes, and uh, the plastic is still wrapped around them. So I, I see. Have that. Uh, in, in timeline... They achieve time travel, but one of the um, very difficult side effects of it turn out to be something called transcription errors. In other words, uh, some of the people who are incorrectly um, sent through time and return end up, for example, they do an MRI on the person, and a blood vessel that should be connected uh, in an ongoing stream, as blood vessels are, suddenly is disjointed uh, by a quarter of an inch or an eighth of an inch and with, with obvious uh, horrible effects. Transcription errors, they, they talk about. Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, and I think the whole team here is really less sensitive to that. Uh, again, in the case of relative, relative, relativity theory and its application, um, anything that's experiencing a relativistic effect provided it's not caught and let's call it like a boundary layer, you're not going to have that type of problem. I think the, I think it, teleportation, that's always a big issue. Uh, I, know fact, I, I know IBM is working on that. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a huge issue. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a really interesting article in Scientific American about uh, uh, quantum teleportation this month, and uh, it talks about this as, as a possible risk. Um, I think the biggest question we have that uh, we can't seem to get our arms around is, and it's not critical to our research right now, but we want an answer, is 
if we send an object back into time and we slow time rates and we accelerate time rates and we're moving these objects forward, right. and this, when we expand this to include a living animal or person, we don't see a risk of transcription errors, Art, but what we see is an unanswered question, and that question is, if we move a poor person forward into time or backward into time someday, does their soul go with them? Oh, God. Yeah. Uh. And, and, and that's a question that uh, <laughs> is one I'm not even ready to try to I'm answer. I'm with that. you. Oh, boy, am I with you. Listen, I have one more hour. Can you afford one more hour? I will make it make it happen, yeah. All right. Let's make it happen then. Show. It's been a too long time With no peace of mind And I'm ready for the times to Maybe with this technology, we won't have quite the same weight. That occurred to anybody out there? I'm Art Bell. I've got to tell you I've been racking my brain Hoping to find a way out I've had enough of this continual rain Changes are coming, no doubt It's been a... You're trying now I know the year and then you'll be happy Just one more year and then you'll be happy But you're Take a ride? Call Art Bell from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at area code 775-727-1222. Or call the wild card line at 775-727-1295. To talk with Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. This is Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. We're having a very interesting talk with uh, Dr. Anderson about time travel and what has already been achieved, which is an amazing bulletin, hello there, time control. He's already done that. Think about that. He's already done it. But you know he'll always keep moving. You know he's never going to stop moving. One more year. We'll be right back. All right, I've got one of those difficult breaks that I've got to get done here, so we'll just uh, kind of take it as it comes, and here it comes. All right, Dr. Anderson, welcome back. Uh, Thank you. You said of something very interesting, you said that... Um, if you were to move a biological entity, a person, you might move the physical person, but not the soul. And that that was a concern, right? That's a question we ask ourselves, yes. 
went in the other room and I asked my wife that. If she heard that, she said, oh, yes. She said, well, maybe the soul is just excess baggage and you pick up another one when you get there. Uh, maybe a better one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe souls are automatically in, in, installed in bodies wherever they may be. The same or another one. Who knows? Interesting. All right. Anyway, uh, listen. Um, here's, a, here's somebody who wants to know, how much power reduction to achieve the results you're getting um, are you achieving compared to the theory of what it should be? In other words, how, how much uh, percentage-wise, how much power are we talking about here? Can you tell us? Yeah, it's substantial. It's uh, When we do our estimates, uh, the amount of power we're eject injecting into the field is only, I'm going to say roughly, depending on the experiment, specific experiment, but it's roughly about 70%, uh, so it's substantial. Has that remained relative? my God, 70%. Has that remained relatively constant, or has that changed? Um, depending on where we're at in terms of, of, of accelerating, where we are in terms of what time rate we're trying to accelerate or decelerate to, it varies slightly. But on average, it's right around 70%. But there is a variance to answer your questions, yes. Boy, that's astoundingly large. Um, and I guess that's got you thinking about all kinds of things. Oh, yeah, the question is, you know, is this energy coming from uh, hyperspace, from a parallel dimension? Is it, uh, uh, we could ask, we still ask the question is maybe are the laws of physics wrong? We don't like to think they are, but, uh, and we don't think they are, but. Uh, but they might be. Another area where we have more questions than we have answers, but we are working on that one uh, uh, very specifically. All right, how about this? Uh, please ask Dr. Anderson from John and Auburn, Alabama, uh, if he knows about the Einstein Gravity Probe B, a spacecraft designed to test how the Earth's mass warps space-time. seems to me the $70 million over-budget project by NASA is attempting to test something that has already been proven. Well, what yeah. was his name again? Um, John. John, actually, it's interesting because I believe John wrote me an email earlier today. All right, well, he's not quite done. The Einstein probe is anticipated to provide new and stringent tests of some of the predictions of general relativity. In particular, the spacecraft is designed to test for frame dragging by the Earth as it rotates in space. Yes, I know. That's why um, I have to say this is this is where I get sometimes a little frustrated on where we spend money. Uh, uh, the concept of frame dragging is something um, that old news is old news. Yes, <laughs> and uh, um, I'm very familiar with what they're doing with with the probe. Uh, they are trying to measure the effects of frame dragging of the Earth and the Moon. Um, and you know what? In a way, I'm kind of happy they're doing it. But for the amount of money that's gone into this project, I think there's other places it could have been better spent. Hmm. If deceased spirits are in fact existent at a higher or faster frequency, could they potentially be seen by placing a camera inside your field and speeding up time inside the field? I, I know that's a wild... No, it's, it's, uh, I, have to, I, have to, I have to think about that question before I answer it. Uh, if you put a camera inside the field, mm -hmm. um, and so we're doppering images... Um, and you're looking out, uh, outward... Um, you know, the answer, the answer is uh, there are other ways to do that. You don't need a time warp field to do that. Uh, there are ways that, that there are cameras that will, for instance, uh, 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 you know, look at uh, 
um, you know, x-rays, ultraviolet light, visible yes, light, and yes. then you could take that information and you could digitally bring it down. And there's actually a lot of systems out there that do that today. And believe it or not, I actually think in a lot of paranormal, paranormal, organization, um, paranormal experiments, they actually use equipment like that today. So the answer is, I, the answer is yes, you could use a time warp field, but it would be overkill. It would be overkill. Still, though, it might prove conclusively um, we're always after this chasing this life after death thing and whether there are really um, whether there is an existence after death and I'm not sure it would prove that but if you saw entities of a different sort uh, you would indeed be proving that there is an existence at a faster or higher frequency that we simply uh, cannot perceive presently you would prove that maybe in an overkill way but you know, it's interesting because when you talk about some of your professional acquaintances who are studying the uh, uh, the ability of the human mind as a, a time machine, what's interesting is we know that um, from special relativity from Einstein that um, a, a body that approaches or travels near the speed of light uh, essentially transcends time. The future becomes the past and time dilates and, and you see all that effect. Um, you also look at it, though, and you say, well, let's look at the human mind. How does it work? The human mind is a energy-mediated process. Uh, it works off of energy that travels very near the speed of light. Is it possible that the human mind is a time machine? But even more importantly, what you brought up, Art, what happens in death? Um, what happens to the energy in the human mind? Uh, um, and the energy is released. Uh, does that energy stay? Does it dematerialize? Or when an object dematerializes and you die, um, does that mean you move into a plane of different energy? There's a whole bunch of theories out there that uh, we get hit with every now and then and we're not experts on. but interesting or, or different frequency. I, I mentioned to you uh, Bob Bigelow, and he's got a ranch at a place that I don't talk about. It's a, you know, a, 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 I, I'm sure you've heard about it. And somebody observed using night vision equipment, the oddest thing, uh, one of the uh, scientists there actually saw a kind of a, a whole form um, defined, it was defined by light, by a circle of light, and saw a creature or a thing or something come through and then saw that disappear. <laughs> well, you know, you asked me the question just before the break about, um, and, and I'll tell you, I'm not going to say that this is my view, but it, there's some very interesting ties. Uh, a lot of people ask us the question after our, our technical presentations, well, where are all the time travelers? That's right. If technology is created, well, so how come nobody has, hasn't seen any? Well, the answer is some people say perhaps. What about the tens of millions of people who've claimed they've seen extraterrestrial visitors? Absolutely. Uh, is it possible that they're time travelers from our future? Absolutely. Uh, certainly is. And it opens up a whole uh, fascinating area of discussion. All right. Go, going back to the phones in a second, but here's another really good one. Uh, Stephen says, may have missed it earlier, but what happens to objects that enter or leave the time warp field or pass through the boundary layer while the apparatus is turned on? For example, what would happen if you fired a shot from a gun of some kind into the field? Well, that shot, obviously, the, the time rate slows down, and you would see the physical effects of that. Um, again, remember the window that we're working in. We've accelerated time rates in the field to 300%, um, and we've decelerated it uh, down to about uh, successfully down to about 13%. Um, and you will see 
when you put a material object through the field, you'll see the physical effects of it as if it was, you know, moving faster through time. Um, if you put a living object through the boundary layer, it would be uh, it would be a very bad thing. As a matter of fact, when we start our experiments, uh, we always initiate the field and then put the object in the field before we adjust the uh, time rate divergence because it's just too. Dangerous. We were we were talking earlier about transcription errors. Now, if you were to put a living object through the field, an operational field, is that the horrid result that you might get? Well, it depends on it depends on how high we have the time rate divergence tune. Here's what happens. Say say I was say I was to take my hand and I was to place it inside the field. Why it was modulated so there was a time rate divergence. So right. say that the time was. Uh, um, uh, let me think about the time was greatly accelerated in the field. The heat within my hand would be Dopplered up to higher heat, higher energy, which would essentially, uh, depending on where we were, uh, either have a mild effect or have the effect of destroying the living tissue in my hand. That's going to be a problem for a while. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is we can put we can put objects in the field. We just don't pass them through the boundary layer once the time rate divergence is set up. Gotcha. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Dr. Anderson. Hello. Yes, good morning. Um, I had uh, several quick questions here. Um, you talk about your experiment using lasers, um, a gas, and a rotating electromagnetic field. Those are basically three things. Is that right? That is correct. Um, well, can you explain on a very simple model level, like like take a single atom, um, what, would, what, what do those three things do to the protons, neutrons, and electrons to like a single atom? How does that how does the, Or does the effect happen totally outside of the atom, like the space around the atom, like maybe the zero-point field or some other field of energy, a sea of energy around us? I, I think it's the latter. I think it's the same example, and I always fall back to it because it's an easier example, the, the twin paradox. That, that twin traveling in a high-speed spaceship is, is experiencing a relativistic effect within, within you know, the object that is traveling at that high speed. And it's the same within our time warp field. Anything within that boundary layer is seeing a relativistic effect. Can you, can you um, and it's more, it's more of a relativistic effect than a quantum effect. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what the three components do to the, to the space, I mean, theoretically around the, um, the, or inside the field? What do the lasers and the gas and the rotating electromagnetic field actually do, theoretically, to the space around or to the sea of energy around um, the object? Well, um, I, I can I can do it briefly. Uh, this could get this could get to be very very technical, but um, the the gaseous reagent is used in conjunction with the lasers to create um, the amount of energy that we need to induce the field. We learned very quickly that using a rotational magnetic field, it kept it a little more stable and predictable. Um, so once we initiate the field. Um, um, that's the operation between the two. The gaseous reagent is injected through what we call our injector sensor arrays. Um, it's injected. Once the field is initiated, um, we don't use, the injectors don't fire after that. It's just really the lasers that are used to maintain and modulate the field, but the power on the lasers comes down significantly after it started. So it's really moving. You started, but it continues, and, and you're, you're simply modulating it with the... Uh with the lasers or sustaining it to some degree with the lasers, but not the majority of the power. That is correct, yes. Um, sir, um, can you tell me, um, have you re uh, heard of uh, Dr. Thomas Van Flandern's work? I, I recently read an article in Infinite Energy Magazine where he talks about 
basically the speed of gravity seems to be infinite. And, and the article was very, um, I, could al- I could almost really understand it without getting into the technical details of what he was talking about, but it really made a lot of sense. And, and how, that might, how the gravity might be connected with this and Townsend T. Brown um, and his work with capacitors. Is there anything to do with capacitance with your experiment? I, I don't. I don't honestly believe there's anything to do with capacitance, and, and I'm familiar with a lot of the models um, uh, that you might be referring to. Um, with regards to what Dr. Flanders is doing and saying uh, in gravity tied, I, I believe that what we're seeing in our boundary layer is a, a more of a general relativistic effect than anything else, and which means it's dealing with gravity. But to me, it's, it's dealing fantastic. with quantum gravity or microgravity, but it's dealing with gravity. It, it, to me, it's a fantastic idea that, that everything is connected on a uh, non-local basis, and, and the, the, the whole uh, point about Van Flandern's work, that, that gravity seems to be um, instantaneous. Like, if you shove a board in one end, it moves instantaneously on the other end. What do you think that says about the universe and reality itself? Uh, oh, that, that one word is, I, I can tell mm-hmm. that you're very familiar with the subject, that one word, non-local. Yes. Uh, this, is, this is a major revelation in the last four years that... Uh, uh, the bottom line is, it's uh, it, it's it's uh, it's been theorized, but now it's been proven that a particle, every particle in the universe, or a particle on one end of the universe, if touched, the effect could be felt at another particle instantaneously on the other side of the universe, even if it meant the distance was required faster than light travel. Have you heard about a book um, titled The Holographic Universe and how the idea that the universe basically, you can like cut a hologram picture into infinite number of little pieces and each little piece would still have that same image on it. And it basically says that in every point in the universe, you can keep breaking it down. Every little segment of the universe has all the time, all the knowledge that's ever happened and ever will happen in every single space. It's almost like, to me, it's almost like they're grasping at the, at the, at the point where it seems like they're discovering God almost, because I, I happen to believe that there is a God, but I think there's a personality behind it, that it's force. And it's almost like the universe is like a mind. Yeah, and, absolutely. Michael Talbot's, that was Michael Talbot's. Yes, book. that's his name, yes. The, the holographic universe, yeah. What's interesting is, when you look at it, like the Elaine Aspect experiments that came out of France that showed that uh, this connection, a faster-than-light connection between information and energy in the universe truly does exist, think about it, though. Look at the, the Navajo Indians and look at some of the Buddhists and Taoists who have been preaching this for 2,000 years. Are we simply rediscovering ancient <laughs> wisdom? Yes. Uh, are we just a good stupid and all of a sudden we're finally starting to get a little more informed and knowledgeable or are we really seeing something different? Well, I uh, just recently read an article that talked about how there's these microtubules in the, in the brain in every cell and neurons. And, and the basic, these are crystalline um, protein structures. And the basic theory is that these things um, more or less surf along or on top of the, the, the this field of energy that's all around us, this what it may be, I think, this God consciousness, and that they're almost I think they're almost discovering how maybe man and God can be connected in the in the in the physical realm via the mind, you know, via the and maybe perhaps these things are in a whole body. Um, but it's really amazing some of the things I've been reading lately. Uh, absolutely amazing, and I love Art Bell Show. It's, I hope it continues just like oh, this. <laughs> and, and if I could, if I could ask you a favor, uh, the last thing you mentioned about the tubular structures. If there's any way you could email me some information, I know a few people here, including myself, who would really love to uh, um, study that a little bit. Well, further. how about uh, how would you feel about giving out an email address, Doctor? Uh, myself, absolutely. Uh, my email address is uh, very simple. It's D is in David D Anderson at time-travel.com. Okay, I got that. D. Um, Anderson at time-travel, and that's a middle-dash-travel.com. That is correct. 
Okay. Got God, it. God bless you, Art. I hope you hope you do well. Thank you, and uh, take care. Um, here's a question that I'm not sure I should answer or ask you because I'm not sure if it's a proper question, but it's from JT in Dallas. Uh, hey, Art. I'm dying to know the answer to this question. If you were to put a transformer or Veristat into this machine or field with a constant current going in and then have the output coming outside of the field, as you speed up or slow down time, would the voltage change? In other words, if you increase time, does the voltage or amperage increase accordingly? Imagine turning a, a milliwatt into a 110-volt uh, house current instantly, mind-boggling. Yes, but there's still the answer is, is yes, you do, but uh, when, when you make that circuit, you're making a loop, um, and the, the conservation of energy does apply in that specific model. I'm not saying it applies everywhere, but, um, again, if he makes that circuit from a transformer inside the field running out, looping out, it has to loop back in to close the circuit, and so you see the effect of the... Uh, uh, the Doppling effect leaving the field and coming back in, or vice versa. Okay. Um, hold it right there, Doctor. We are once again forced, as networks are, to conform to con uh, time constraints. Now, maybe we could change that in the future. And boy, that sure would rearrange my brakes, wouldn't it? I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. Kingdom of Nye from west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies, 1-800-825-5033. First-time callers may reach Art at 1-775-727-1222. And the wild card line is open at 1-775-727-1295. To reach Art on the toll-free international line, call your AT&T operator and have them dial 800-893-0903. I'm sure we should have got this on earlier, but if you would like to email Dr. Anderson, it is simple. It's D as in dog, but not dog-like. D. Anderson at time-travel.com. And I'd like to also remind you that if you would like to read more about all of this, and I'm sure you would, we've got a link on our website right now at www.artbell.com or www.coasttocoastam.com.
Com. All right, once again, Dr. David Anderson. Uh, Dr. Wow, uh, this non-local effect that you were discussing a few moments ago, uh, which suggests, I guess, that if something happens to a molecule here 30 light years away, a molecule would be affected in a similar way instantly, virtually instantly. Is that correct? That's, that's, that's a good summary. It's uh, relatively recently. It began with um, uh, an experiment called the Aspect Experiments uh, uh, in Paris, France. It's the first scientific experiment that select, suggests um, through scientific evidence, hard scientific evidence, that uh, the world truly, the universe truly is a dynamic web of energy that's inseparable, um, all connected and all that, everything that communicates faster than the speed of light, which is very uh, a very interesting concept. Um, all right. I have heard a number of people describe the only possibility for travel faster than light or virtually instant travel would be, uh, I've had it described to me this way, you take a piece of paper, uh, just a long piece of paper, and you imagine a little ant trying to get from one end of the paper to the other and the little ant would take quite a while to get from one end to the other. On the other hand, if you fold the paper uh, in half, then the ant just crawls over the edge and virtually has arrived from point A to B instantly. But that's not quite what we're talking about, is it? Well, it's close. It's, it's, the, it's the illustration called a Mobius strip that's, that's used to demonstrate curved space-time. Uh, if you want to travel to a distant point in the universe, there's two things you can do. You can travel in a straight line at very high speed, or you could warp space and time to curve it around, so you just have to just take a short hop. Um, uh, it's a little bit different than what we're talking about, yes. But uh, um, it's, it's a very fundamental concept in, uh, uh, in space-time physics. Okay, one one other question. This in, enormous reduction in energy once the field has begun uh, that you've documented so well, uh, would there, w wouldn't there be a way to simply maintain the field and uh, tap the energy? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we wonder, um, after we address some of these other issues, is it going to be possible that what we're looking at might be a source of power? Exactly. A source of power that might be clean and efficient. Exactly. Non-polluting. Right now, we don't know the answer to that question, but it's certainly something that we are are very interested in pursuing as our research, research continues. It's an obviously very important question, considering that at present uh, rates of usage, all the fossil fuels will be gone in another 40, 45 years, whatever. Well, you know what's interesting, Art, is the whole team here is we have a few passions. Uh, one of our passions is the application of our, our, our time warp field technology and the medical application. The other two passions we have are to explore uh, the use of the boundary layer characteristics as a power source. The other one is we would like to explore the possibility of the technology for supercomputer applications, basically meaning let's put a supercomputer inside an accelerated time warp field and have it process faster. Mm -hmm. uh, but we can, fortunately, we can't get funding for the latter two. You know, <laughs> so that's, uh, we'll, we'll have to keep waiting to advance those. Uh, I, have you kept yourself poor funding uh, a lot of this yourself? Uh, initially, I have to admit, uh, initially opening the center in the first uh, year and a half, two years of the center was very difficult. Now it's, uh, 
uh, things are running smoothly, and we're to the point where we can where we can be very selective about which private and public contracts that we take. Isn't that nice? It, it is good. Uh, we paid our dues, though. Uh, I hear that. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Yeah, good morning, Art. Uh, good good once morning. Once again, you've done a show that only you can do, I think, and... Uh, I'm sorry to hear that you won't be here very much longer for us, but I'm sure you'll do the best you can to not hurt us as far as the quality of your excellent program. Thank you. Uh, a question for you, Dr. Anderson. Uh, I'm one of those poorly educated persons that uh, does have a scientific curiosity, and I've been recently, the last three years or so, in, indulging myself and in scaring the hell out of my cat and neighbors with uh, doing some uh, capacitive discharge and... Uh, microwave RF plasma generation experiments. And I'm familiar, pretty thoroughly familiar with the anomalous energy effects that happen when you get down to using high-energy fields or having high-energy events. I was just wondering, one question, if you can answer it or not, is your field generator an extension of the work done by William Hooper? If you're familiar with him, he did uh, work on what he called the... Uh, rotational field generators. He did a mechanical one that had uh, coils and magnets. He also did an all-electric one that was just like a specially wound coil. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a little bit familiar with his work, not completely, but but um, again, what I'd say is that no, the answer to your question is no, it's not based on his work, and, and maybe even more importantly, the rotational magnetic field we induce, uh, we believe at least, and then again from the number of callers that are asking the question, I'm beginning to wonder, but we believe um, that it, it's, it's, it's important, but mostly for a stability issue, and it's not at the uh, the core of what we're using to create uh, technology. It's a container relic, pretty much so. Another question I had, and I know this is getting into the area of, of you know epistemology, actually, because I think a lot of the problems I have, and maybe other listeners as well have, with understanding a lot of the concepts being discussed, is that, is that we have Newtonian definitions for quantum answers that we're getting to the questions that we have, such as like time travel. And, and to me, to my understanding, I don't see how people can separate the space component of the continuum when they talk about time travel. I, for instance, Art asks, is there anything that you've speculated that may be an insurmountable obstacle as far as the future possibility of actual transporting something or an entity or a living person through time to the past or to the future. And the problem that I see with that is that what is going to be your reference point? I mean, for example, if you were to actually send something physically back in time just one hour ago, you'd also have to move it through the spatial component component of the space-time continuum to have it re-exist or instantaneously exist on the same place on the Earth, like the Earth is rotating a 1,000 miles an hour on its axis, it's got its mm. orbital velocity, and then the entire galaxy is rotating, and then the local, super group, uh, local cluster is moving towards Virgo supercluster at a uh, million We've miles. got the idea. So you'd end up in a hanging out somewhere. Right. One hour of time. To go back and out one hour in time, you'd also have to travel many, many miles on a very difficult-to-calculate path, I would think. Doctor? There's, there's, two, there's two, different, two different ways to answer to, to respond to that question. Um, actually, there were a couple questions in there. Um, 
The first one is, if you were talking about a special relativistic effect, the answer is yes. When you traveled forward into time or you returned, um, you would you would obviously be uh, at a reference point in the universe where the Earth no longer is because it's moving and spinning and so on. Right. When you look at general relativistic effects, uh, we're not talking about speed and motion. We're talking about exposure to gravity. Um, and we're talking about motion... Uh, that doesn't have to be linear, long, straight-line flights at uh, at extremely high speeds. So there is a subtle difference. Um, one of the things is obviously that, that you bring up one point that we look at, and we haven't got there yet, um, but we see, obviously, once we build, expand this time control capability, and let's call it someday we do have a time machine. It's not a time machine. It's also a space travel machine. Um, and then uh, those uh, types uh, of issues become, you know, a question. But right now our focus is, I think, as Art put it, we're walking before we run. Space travel or, more aptly, perhaps, transporter? <laughs> I, think, I, I, think I, would, um, I think I would probably use the, uh, you know, both words could be applied, but if I was going to be real picky, I'd probably say space travel, okay. extremely high-speed space travel. All right. Um, and here's, here's one more for me to throw your way. You'll tangle with this uh, when you get to that book timeline uh, or the audio book. They suggest uh, the informational avenue is really the answer, and the answer to time travel ultimately will be a quantum computer. Very, it's, 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 it's a good point. And is the human mind a quantum computer? Oh, is, probably. Is even, a, even a better question. Um, I'm not sure... I'm not so sure if I, I I would necessarily agree with that. I I do like I said I I've, I've spent art I've spent way too much time living in the world of math and physics and analytical science, so it's hard for me to to talk about some of the other questions. But I firmly believe, uh, with my little bit of experience in the more of the metaphysical side and the human studying of the human mind, that we will see achievement of 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 time travel and other types of capability in the human mind. Uh, using the human mind at the same time we're seeing more hardware uh, uh, scientific sure. vehicles. Well, yeah, I uh, see the way you're moving. But, I mean, if, if, if the theory that the universe is an informational construct uh, would be accurate, then perhaps a quantum computer uh, could move around in it very easily. It's possible. It, it, it's very possible. It, it might open up new avenues, and I know there's research going on, but uh, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not much more familiar with it than that. I apologize, Art. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Um, first time caller line. You're on the air with Dr. Anderson. Hi. Hi. How are you guys doing today? Okay, sir. Uh, I'm wondering if you can hear me. I'm on one of those crappy uh, digital phones here, so I apologize for the audio quality. The giant step. Backward for mankind. Yeah, yes. believe me, it, it might save on the battery, but every time I make a phone call, people are always like, you know, you got throat cancer or something. So, you know, I, I do apologize in advance. Uh, Dr. Anderson, uh, you mentioned way, way a couple hours ago, which is why I called you, that you were mentioning somebody who, uh, Dr. Mihai Jalaganescu, and I was wondering if you could give me a little more information because I'm actually going to be in Bucharest on Sunday. Oh, wow. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to do this. Uh, do you have access to email? Yeah, I sure do. Okay, why don't you email me at uh, d anderson 
Okay. Yeah, I got that? the email from him before. Right. D. Anderson at Time Dash Travel. Whatever. Shoot me an email and I'll give you his name. His name again is Mihai Dragonescu. Yeah, Dragonescu. I was just wondering maybe you know like where he worked or how I could get a hold or just you know just go ahead and see what he's up to and that kind of thing. Because if, you, if you're in Bucharest, out of the blue, it just it just surprised me because I'm actually going to be there in just a couple of days. So I was just wondering what you were doing there. Um, a little bit of research. A little bit of research. research. Um, I, there's a gentleman that I'm working with. Uh, uh, who's an expert in chaos theory there. I also met with Mr. Uh, Dragonescu to talk to, with right. him about some of his uh, work and uh, right. some other projects. Well, that sounds good. The other question I had, which you basically already answered, was about how everybody here is focusing on the time and the travel and all that kind of stuff. But when I was sitting there and you mentioned that you were getting more energy than you expected, in other words, you're getting more energy than you were putting in, I had to say, you know, isn't that sort of like the foundation of a perpetual, you know, energy machine or something, just because you're getting more out than you were putting in. Well, I, I, I don't know if that's exactly fair to say that he was getting more out than putting in, uh, but more was available to sustain the field. Now, can that be tapped and used? That's, that's, that's one of the questions that we've been unable to obtain funding on right now uh, to pursue, but uh, you, you said it well, Art, is that when we initiate the field, the amount of the energy we're applying is not as fault is is less than what we should have to apply to keep it open. So there's is like like I said earlier, I think either there's an energy source that is providing uh, uh, that missing energy to maintain the field the way mm -hmm. the laws of physics say it must be maintained, mm -hmm. or the laws of physics are wrong. And I vote for the former. And uh, but it could be the latter, <laughs> which will really cause a tangle. Yes. All right. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Dr. Anderson. Good morning. Yes. Um, do I understand correctly that uh, uh, when you have the field in the slowdown mode, that uh, light going in would be blue-shifted, I mean, uh, red-shifted, and light coming out is blue-shifted? Good question. Yeah. The, the way it works is is if, if, we're, if the time rate is accelerated inside the time warp field, the light, the light moving out is... is is the frequency is lowered, um, whereas light coming in is increased. And if we, if the field, in, if the if the time rate inside the field is decelerated, lower than the reference time rate outside of the field, it's obviously opposite. Yes. Well, uh, all this reminds me, for some reason, of uh, uh, descriptions of what's supposed to happen on a spaceship traveling close to the speed of light. Yeah, actually, um, actually, he's right. That is, that is very similar to what has been theorized would occur, isn't it, Doctor? Yeah, it is. It, uh, there is a subtle difference. Uh, um, in the case of an object traveling fast, you will see red and blue shift. And you see red and blue shift uh, from light emanating from stars. And we use that uh, to, 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 to try to determine speed and relative position of distant stars. And that, that's a common thing done in, uh, uh, in astrophysics. Um, the fact that uh, an object you know, uh, traveling fast near the speed of light um, really uh, doesn't have as much bearing on that red shift, blue shift. The fact that it's moving, um, and you, if you were to bounce a signal off it or if it was to emanate a signal, then, yes, that signal would be red shifted or blue shifted, um, but it's not necessarily that speed that's required to dilate the time. Again, our, within the time warp field, we're seeing more of a general relativistic effect based on some characteristic of gravity. You have given us such a great gift by being here this morning, and all I've given you back is a bunch of emails so far. Do you have anything at all you would like to uh, plug? Do you have a book? Have you written a book? Uh, would, is there anything I can do for you here? 
Well, I appreciate that. Actually, it's a real pleasure to uh, be with you, Art. And, and as many other viewers have said, I wish you tremendous amounts of success and good health and happiness in whatever you decide to pursue. Thank you. Um, uh, the only thing I could say is, uh, um, you know, a lot of people ask me when I uh, speak about our research why they should believe a word I say and why they should believe a word that anybody says about uh, space and time. And the answer is, I always give, is they shouldn't. Uh, keep an open mind, study. Um, uh, if one of the best things, um, if, if, I, if, if I can put in a plug, is we sponsor, as part of one of our side efforts, an organization called the Time Travel Research Association. Uh, it has, offers a free membership. It has a simple goal. It networks thousands of people from multiple countries around the world with a single goal to advance the study and development of time and time travel. And it doesn't matter whether it's from the perspective of spirituality, mathematics, physics, metaphysics, art, poetry. Um, if it has to do with time and time travel, this is a wonderful association, and you can really meet and network with a lot of really talented people. And uh, again, that's that's something that comes from our heart. We really just want to make this information available and free for everybody to study, and it's available and free on our website at uh, www.time-travel.com. And we've got a link up. And I imagine, how's your site doing this morning? Have you had an opportunity uh, to check, by the way? I know what, no, not why I've been on the phone, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there have been quite a few hits. I think it's probably going to be uh, very, very busy. Are you a fan of time travel movies? Uh, well, l let me answer that question in an interesting way. The answer is yes. We actually have a space-time, well, I won't call it a library. It's our archive here. We now have more than 10,000 items we've collected um, uh, that cover from science fiction movies, books, manuscripts, um, uh, clocks, anything that has to do with the study of time and time travel, and even more so, our video collection. Um, it's, I won't say it's the largest in the world, but we've probably got about five or 600 time travel movies in our archive wow. and uh, from different countries as well as the U.S. And one of our big hopes is, is that early next year we're going to open up um, a space-time museum out here on uh, Long Island dedicated to um, uh, the sharing of that information. Whew. You uh, really are undertaking uh, an awful lot of projects at, at once, aren't you? You're a very busy person. Uh, yeah, but like you, I, I, I work, and then when, I, when, when my body mandates it, I sleep and eat, and then I get back to work again. So, Well, uh, maybe if your work is productive, you can cut down on that sleep time. I like that idea. <laughs> I'll put myself inside the time warp field and accelerate my research. It would be wonderful. All right, let's see. One more time, your uh, email address, if you wouldn't mind. The email address again is D as in David, D Anderson at time-travel.com. Again, D Anderson at time-travel.com. I may come knocking on your door again pretty soon, Doctor. It uh, would be a pleasure. All right. Uh, then pleasure. in that case, thank you, my friend, for being here. What a night. Uh, get some sleep. Actually, I'm going to go back to work for a few hours and then get some sleep. <laughs> Good night, Doctor. Best regards. Good night. Well, that definitely goes down as the uh, the uh, premier time travel show that we've ever done. No question about it. You're talking to the man who has already controlled time. He's done it in his lab on uh, Long Island. It's a reality. Now, I know it's going to take a while for all of that to sink in. For me, too. What's actually happened back there. But... If we haven't made news tonight, then you haven't been listening. From the high desert, I'm Art Bell. Good night. Good night.